I mean, I didn't mind Shay the way some people did. Some people complained to no end. Oh, it's a dump. This and all of that. And I, I, was, I, I thought it had a certain charm about it. It was, it was our dump. That's yeah, the whole. Exactly. No, I loved, I loved Shea Stadium. I loved how loud that place got. I loved everything about it. But you know, that's because that was where I first went when I was a kid back in '85. Was my first game. So. I'm sure this is a riveting conversation for Scott. But, you know, Scott's oh, I'm here to sports blah, fan. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Baseball, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> hey, that's where What's they up, perform Tom? Spider-Man's wedding. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right. That I'm is where Spider-Man got married. That is correct. Yeah, it is. Back to the bin. Is that Bill? Holy sh! Bill, what's up, brother? We got a last minute join. Hey. We got a last minute replacement for Rifen. Holy sh! Where'd they scare you up at? On the sh! It looks like. <laughs> I like that picture, huh? I do like that picture. Scott, uh, your, was... uh, your world's finest book. I assume you're not doing all five stories, are you? Oh, no, no. It's just which, the which Shazam story. No, just what? the Shazam. Did I not say that in the, in the message that I sent? If it, I... No, I think you did. Maybe I don't know. I don't pay attention to what you say. But here's the thing: is if everybody's got a book, I, I was all you know when I mean, when Rifen was supposed to be. Do you not again? You slack. Hey, back. I wasn't even supposed to be here. <laughs> I wasn't even supposed to be here today. <laughs> it's not uh, my fault. Uh, the last time I was on, we started to run long, and we had to drop Bill's book because yeah, Bill did have a book. I was just pretending he had a book. And um, Bill so, no. didn't I have He's a book just, last time? Well, we, we pretended you did. I thought I had a book. No, wait, yeah. I did have a book. <laughs> it was, wasn't it Sojourn? Yeah, it was Sojourn. Yeah, oh, okay. you, you milked three weeks out of that book. Hey. Um, but if you, if, if we I do I don't think run that one's l- even been posted yet. It has. Yeah, it has. Yeah, it has. Episode? Yeah, has. yeah, yeah, yeah. But if we do run long, if you need to cut a book, um, you can cut mine. So. No, we're not cutting your book. Well, I went first last time, so I don't want to, you know. Did you? Yeah, last time we did it, I went first. So, or, or did one? No, you did because it was the Marvel. Yeah, that's because I know you oh, did, had a tight I, last time. It's I worked a twelve-hour day today, so <laughs> it's been a Holy long shit. It was parent conference night, so I've been at, I was at work from seven thirty this morning until seven thirty. This is you know I mean it, it it's a double-edged sword because you you know you when you have a tough day like that you want to yeah you, you almost want to just go hit the sack and call it an end to the day, but. Otherwise, it's not a bad way to unwind to just sit people. Yeah, sit comments. luckily for me, it actually wasn't very long. It was just long, and, and I actually didn't have a lot of parents stop by. So basically, I just treated it as work time, and I got a lot of work done. But it was just one of those days where I'm like, okay. No, actually, I was looking forward to this because this is kind of a nice way to just blow off steam without, you know. Amen. And, and yep. enjoy myself. Yeah. Oh, and, and Scott, I um, I'm going to kiss your ass for a minute. Um, oh, another one? <laughs> I I wound up I wound up actually taking notes during the last earning my ears where you were going over that list of places to relax ah. in, in the parks because we're going back again in July and um, I heard that I just started I happened to be I had a notebook open I was doing something else so I just started jotting down like the places where you had mentioned and uh, so I just wanted to to let you know that because that's 
I told my wife and she was like, that's really cool. So uh, I've, I've been liking the podcast anyway, but you know, stuff like that is just, you know, good to know. Thanks man. So I appreciate and, uh, I appreciate you doing that. For what it's worth, Scott and Scott and Bill, uh, I'm already trying to figure out a way to finagle for a, uh, another Disney trip in August. Sweet. This August? Yeah. Oh, Oh. So I don't. I don't know if I can. I really don't know if I can afford it. But if I can, you may be seeing me again. You'll oh, see me God. twice one summer. <laughs> Crap. I think I'm. I think I'm out of town that week. <laughs> I think I'm gonna have heart surgery. <laughs> what are they gonna put one in? Ooh. Oh. You need a little aloe for that burn, my friend. <laughs> I have had a pretty bad week, so uh, that's why I'm podcasting tonight. Because I just said, screw it. Well, that's exactly what I was talking about. Even when you're exhausted, it's a good way to unwind. You get on, your I mean, friends abuse you a little. I had a great Saturday. Scott and I had a great Saturday. Thank you again. Absolutely. Got, I was able to relive my, my youth as the Gorf champion, uh, the, the king of Gorf. <laughs> he is the king. Oh, yeah. I saw the picture of you playing Gorf. High score, baby. He, High score. He kicked my ass in it's that like, game. Dude. It's like on uh, Seinfeld when George was playing Frogger. <laughs> exactly. And then he bought the machine to preserve the high score. I, oh, that's hysterical. You know, I thought of that this week. I was like, you know what? I wonder if I can buy a Gorf. Where can I buy a Gorf machine? There's got to be there, some. There are, there are guys who, uh, that's that's a hobby. People who have these, you know, vintage uh, pinball machines and video games. There's, mm-hmm. there's like clubs of them. So they're all places where you can buy them if you if you had one that you really, really wanted. And, and from what I understand, you have a garage that you could put it in. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I was saying to Scott that night, I was like, you know that uh, that Toby Keith song that says, I'm, um, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was? I think that's <laughs> what that night was. Right. Because <laughs> I, 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 I can't believe I, on one of those things, I think I got that flagship, what, in like two shots? Yep. Uh, you were the gorf king. Like, even I was amazed by that because man, that and man, my hand was killing me playing that thing. I had I had a similar situation scenario when I was in college, and we we dusted off an old Nintendo and plugged in Tetris, and I scored like the highest I'd ever scored. To boot, I was drunk off my ass, <laughs> and I've never been able to replicate that game. And I, to this day, I have no idea how the hell I did that. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, Gorf stand. I'm on eBay. Gorf stand up video game used nineteen hundred dollars. Yeah, they're rare, man. Oh, they're they're hard man. to find. Oh man, nineteen hundred dollars for which game? For Gorf. Do you have it on an emulator? Because I have it on an emulator. If you just want an emulated copy of it, it's not the same, man. You gotta you gotta stand up. You gotta have the joystick. It's it's not the same. Too old to stand up. That was the ah. Uh, that, you know, you know, my son had a good time too. He was like, you know, I had a good time. He went back to my wife and said, I had a good time with dad over there. Aw. Like, oh. It's like, oh, they make thanks. you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I did. I had a really I had an excellent time. I really did. It was a blast. I'm I'm glad we all we got to all get together. Now who, I who was in the group this time. Oh, it was, it was it was Ben and I and it was uh Logan and and Scott. And we went into uh, Disney Quest, downtown okay. Disney. Very. Did you go there when you were there, Paul? I don't think so. I don't think yeah, so. Was, we, nobody invited me there. 
<laughs> we didn't make it. Th- I didn't make it there either. But we're planning on. I think that's where one of our dinner reservations are this year. So we're planning on doing uh, a downtown Disney at some point. Where are you staying at? We're this year we're at the Beach Club. And last year nice. we were yeah. Last year we were at the Wilderness Resort, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, my uncle Lou is a club, you know, is a club member and and goes every year. He usually goes the week after we did. We, we did. And we will. And he raved about the beach club. So when we were over, when Amanda and I went over to, we had dinner at, uh, I think Casina closed, but we had dinner, you know, on the boardwalk there one night and kind of walked around it on our way back into the world showcase. And we were like, okay, yeah, if we come back, we'll stay here. So pretty excited. I never, uh, I never really appreciated um, just how cool the beach club was until um, it was one of the first visits when when Scott Riefen and I were just becoming friends, he and his wife were staying over there, and I went to see them. And actually, that's where the that first episode of um, of uh, my Star Wars story was recorded. Now, mm-hmm. it's not the first one that he released, the son of a bitch, but it is the first episode <laughs> he recorded. Uh, but that's where it was recorded is when they were staying in their suite at um, at the beach club. And that was really the, the most time I'd ever spent at the beach club, and I kind of fell in love with the place. It is a beautiful resort. Yeah, it is really something. I like that one a lot. So I was just checking uh, to see if we had any email. We got a couple in the, uh, you know, that we had already received. And usually I just delete, you know, the spam ones. But I see this one. It has, the subject is one tip for a tiny belly. So maybe I shouldn't delete that. What do you think? <laughs> what are you trying just to say? I do remember what it's like when the three of us squeezed into that, uh, <laughs> to that thing. Oh Jesus. Oh, that was painful. That that was just that was hysterical. But I can well, just imagine what people. What was were really funny was <laughs> the way the girl was. <laughs> oh, Scott. So I haven't listened to Growing Up Star Wars yet with your review of of Marvel Star Wars. Uh huh. So I don't. And I meant to ask you what your opinion of it was. I haven't read issue two. I I'm going to say I was a little bit underwhelmed. Is yeah. my take on it. I was a lot underwhelmed, and my, basically my my issue was was with it is that it felt lazy. I uh, I, I just felt like it wasn't. I felt like they were once again they were dumbing down the product to shoot it at the widest possible audience instead of writing good Star Wars, and that was my my issue with it. Unfortunately. Mm. I don't think I explained myself very well in the episode. And so Scott Riefen, who was you know, on the episode and a number of the listeners kind of misinterpreted what I was trying to say as like that. I wanted it to just be pandering to the fans, which is really not what I was trying to say, but it's kind of, it just kind of came off as that's what I said. But what I really meant was, you know, why don't, why don't you just write something that is true and faithful and, They'll either come or they won't, you know. And mm. and I just didn't think that it was faithful. I really didn't. I thought that it was, um, I, I thought it was kind of stupid as far as the writing. I mean, it's not that it's not exciting. Here's the funny thing about it: it's it, it's not that it's not exciting. It's not that it ha- doesn't set, have some interesting story beats and and you know things that happen in it and everything. And even you know some of the character moments are pretty cool because Han Solo feels like Han Solo. You know the things he says, right. his dialogue and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, 
it feels kind of sloppy and lazy. And that bothered me a lot because I was really looking forward to this. And I just walked away from it in, and in so many ways was shaking my head going, no, 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 no. I mean, it seemed like every couple of pages, there was something that was just making me go, nope, nope, nope. And the biggest one of all was the fact that this was a commando mission, you know, with, with Han and Luke and Leia and everybody, you know, a very short time after the end of the original Star Wars. And it's like, no, God damn it. We watched in the movies, in the original trilogies, them come together as friends and come together as a team so that by the time they actually try to stage anything that you could remotely call a commando mission in the last movie, it's still very clumsy and awkward and and only really comes together kind of by dumb luck and happenstance. Whereas mm-hmm. in this one, you know, right off the bat, they're, they're going into what they admit is the most secure facility in the Empire. Right. And they're like knocking around stormtroopers and, and Han clubs one in the back of the head. Leia punches out an Imperial commander. And you're like, this isn't this is such bullshit. You know, they they don't do shit like this. You know, they're not superheroes. And it so it just didn't feel genuine to me, uh, you know, in that, that respect. And then the, the biggest thing that Rifen and I completely disagreed about was I don't like that here you're supposed to be basically uh, again, you know, mere days or whatever after the Death Star. And you've got the the skiff barge from Return of the Jedi. You've got Imperial walkers and all this shit that we wouldn't see until later films. I, you know, I understood his point that, you know, they live in this universe. And so these things exist. Why not play with those toys? But at the same rate, to me, when you steal so much shit from well, later in the saga... New. Yeah, exactly. Come up with something original. Don't just steal shit from later on because that cheapens the world to me. It doesn't enforce it. It doesn't it doesn't make me feel good about it. It cheapens it because I know how these reveals came when I was a kid. And if you're going to throw everything into the week after the Death Star, then then that means that it's not as exciting when it naturally happens much later on, you know? Yeah, I know that sounds like, kind of stupid, but that that's just how I felt about it, and I didn't like yeah. that. Well, like when when they did Dark Empire and they introduced uh, those world devastators, that was something new. You know, why can't they come up with something new with this? Right. The one thing exactly. that when I got to the last page, I don't know what it was about it that just bugged me. When when Ben tells Luke to run, it just didn't seem like it, I, I don't know. I guess at like later on when Luke becomes stronger with the force in the movies, he can have a conversation with Ben after he's been trained by Yoda somewhat, but it's almost like he's having a two way conversation with Ben at that point. And that's for, for me, that's way too early for him to be able to do that because before when he's, you know, at the end of the first movie, Ben's talking to him and you get the feeling that he's like, not really sure or he's just getting this feeling from him. But here, you know, he's like, you know, Ben, hey Luke, yeah, hey, run, <laughs> you know, right, you know, and and that just bugged me for some reason. But I, I didn't know if if that bothered anybody else either, or just me and my hang up. So, well, you definitely need to listen to the episode because I, I I think you'll I, I think you'll enjoy it for one because it was a really good episode. It was one of the few times where we actually had a little bit of, 
I won't say conflict, but some definite back and forth. I mean, there were some strong mm-hmm. opinions out there and everything. Um, but well, I got the cover that, with uh, I got the cover with Jackson in it. Yeah, yeah, that was that was one of the ones I got, and yeah. I think that's the one that Honeywell got as well. I think he purposely got that one. Yeah, well, that's the only we were, one I got. I wasn't buying multiple copies. I was like, no, no. Well, we, we definitely had a thing to say about the multiple copies thing because I, I tried to head off any criticism in the past because I knew that somebody would probably be like, well, wait a minute, didn't you buy multiple copies? Well, yeah, I did, but I addressed in the show why I, why I bought multiple copies. And the reason I bought multiple copies is that's what was offered. You know, I wanted to make sure I got a copy of the book. So I went ahead and I bought the pack because that was the only, you know, I didn't, I don't have a pull box anymore at my LCS. So I walked in there one day, you know, like mere, I think it was like a week or maybe week and a half before the book was coming out and was like, gee, guys, I know I'm late to the party, but I'd really like a copy of Star Wars number one. Can you help me out? And they said, well, you know, we just happen to have this deal that if you buy this five pack, you know, blah, blah, blah. blah. That's bullshit because when I went to my LCS, I went there the day after I didn't pre order shit and they had tons of them on the shelf and i picked the one i wanted i didn't you're, have to order you're no goddamn freaking lucky pack. then because most every lucky there was a ton I, of them yeah but most everybody else i've talked to their lcs blew through them and i know mine did oh uh, they, LC, no, they probably blew through them no i worked at it a comic store I, what they're doing is they're holding them back well they're yeah to jack I'm up sure the prices they is what they're too. doing because I'm i used sure to sort that i used to sort the freaking books and and i go through and find all these you know oh there's all these tons of you know like Back back when I was working, World War Hulk was the big thing out. So there was like you know, all these boxes of World War Hulk and boxes of this and stuff that was supposedly hard to find. And, you know, that's what they do. But for this, they had I mean, I there was uh, there was at least seven or eight different versions of, of the cover. Now, some of them were marked up like 20 bucks, this, that, you know, but I just went, oh, OK, you know, this is what I'm going to get. I, I didn't have, and I got some extra stuff with it. I got some, um, just just for buying them. I got some pins and buttons and stuff that was no charge. Now maybe my LCS. I know he's been in business a long time, and I, I'm not saying he's better than the one you went to, but I, you know, I didn't have to buy a freaking pack. Well, the last that. time, the last time they they launched a new series with the original characters, which was the Dark Horse one that ended right before Marvel. The you know Marvel started publishing this the one that was written by Brian Wood, um, I I had just put it on my pull list so I came in I missed the week or two or whatever I came in it was a couple of weeks later and the and the guy in my LCS was like you know how you know how lucky you are to have this I was like I have no idea what you're talking about apparently even two weeks after that one came out it was going for forty bucks on eBay, right because it was under order and I was like oh wow and now the price on it dropped like crazy because I I read the whole series and I was like all right it was okay. And I, I sold the whole series in one lot, and I think I got I did not get forty bucks for like the one issue. So by then it had you know it had come was, down in value. This but is the Brian Wood series. The Brian Wood series, which was pretty good. It was it moved too slowly for me because it was almost like okay, come on, get to the. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that first issue of that Brian Wood series because it, it had an Alex Ross cover. And for some whatever reason, oh, yeah, it was yeah, going yeah, right. crazy on eBay a couple weeks after it was released, and then it just kind of, that that kind of came down after a little yeah, while. I that, think that, it was that's just that's usually was, the case when you see it's yeah. crazy like that. Strike while the iron's hot. Yeah. It's a very stock market. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, that was about because books was about, like that aren't going to sustain. No way. No, 
No. That was about what two years ago, two or three years ago, mm, I think, when that yes. came out. The, yeah. the the run lasted about twenty issues, so you're talking about two years ago, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So, my LCS is twelve copies of Turok Dinosaur Hunter number one. If you're interested, I just you know <laughs> it's funny. I'm I'm, I'm doing an episode uh, of Professor I just Quarter. I just use one of those. I just use I one of those for kindling. Okay, I'm doing I'm doing an episode of Professor Allen show where. He's going to talk on, about that book and then talk about you know the basically the boom of the '90s I'm, and how how I'm on the went. I'm on the same episode. Oh yeah, so that's so, why because oh, yeah, you are on that list. So I went to he, he I went to buy the, a copy of it. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I and I was going to ask him for it, but I went to my LCS and, and I put it on the counter. I said, you know, have a dozen of these, and it was a quarter. So well, he, he I, I need quarter. Uh, it's got a little price tag on it that says twenty five cents, but it costs <laughs> like two fifty to mail it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I need need issues three and seven. If you guys chance across either oh, this one, this is of those. my first issue. I, I I've never read the book before. Well, I I've never read, never read I think it either. I got a copy, so. The only or, reason or have I'm, I any issues until now. The only reason I'm chasing it is that those two issues, three and seven, are displayed in um oh those oh. Disney in uh, yeah Disney yeah, and I want them as part of that Disney display collection. Okay, that's that's oh. it. That's the only reason. Where are you? Um, has that? I don't, I haven't been key keeping up too much. Uh, what, what's going on with your idea about putting up a list, a pull list? I wasn't trying to poo-poo it when I was. Um, I just no, had no. Some... I, I was just soliciting ideas. Um, I still like the idea. I'd still like to do it. And there were enough people that seemed interested that uh, that I'd like to make that yeah. happen. I just you know I've been crazy busy and hadn't done it yet. But oh, okay. essentially, what I was trying to ta- what I was trying to say is that. You know, we, we just kind of come up with uh, with postings of, hey, you know, if you happen to be at a, at a con or an LCS or whatever and you chance across this, you know, think of me kind of thing and, and yeah. you know, give me a give me a shout because I don't you know, you know what it's like. You'll be digging through oh, some yeah. great 50 cent box somewhere and you're like, oh, shit, you know, why is this in here? Somebody's got to be looking for this kind of thing. So I, I thought of kind of like, let's do that in reverse, you know, but. I think it could work a number of different ways. I mean, it could almost work as a, you know, a, a, almost like a live thing. You know, like if if you are that guy in the field and you chance across that book, you know, you snap a picture and you throw it in that group. And, you know, if somebody bites while you're still there in the store, then maybe you pick it up for them or whatever. The The tricky part of it would be working out the details so that it doesn't become a thing like Paul was saying, where you pay a quarter for it, but then you're, you're, you're screwed another three bucks to actually send it to the person. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd have to work mm-hmm. out a system where it remains that, you know, that initial cheapness. Cause that's the point of it, you know, is that, yeah. you know, you're, you're we're, I, th- I think the logistics are difficult to be honest with you. Yeah. That, Although, that it's a, it's a great idea, but I think the logistics may kill you. Although if yeah. we're together at the same con, this becomes like a scavenger hunt for well, all of yeah, us. Yeah, you know what? Like, like here's yeah. my list. <laughs> when we're all together in June, we could each have a want list, and you could print out multiple <laughs> copies. And if somebody's going through a box and sees stuff, you know. Yeah. Well, what I like to do is like what what Bill and I did at the con we went to is like you know you grab a box and I grab a box and we sit side by side and we're just plowing through. And as you come across something interesting, hold it up. Hey, what about this? No, I got that one. Okay. What what about this one? And we did that for each other the whole. F- Con, and that's what Michael Bailey and I used to do for each other when we'd go to those one day Atlanta cons. That's the feeling I'm talking it, about. That's what it, I miss is being the wingman. You know, yeah. I, I love that shit. And and if you can do that where it's not as crowded as as some of the other cons that like the one I've gone to the last couple of years where like 
shit, man, it's <laughs> it's between that and trying not to get stepped on, you know, as I'm looking through stuff or getting pushed around. Right. So hopefully, you know. <laughs> right. I, I love that shit. All right. But no, I think we should bring uh, this episode in. Yes. All right. So might as well start by saying, hey, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Paul Spataro, and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Going good, going good. We are joined today by Mr. Tom Panarese. Hello. And just along for the ride, but with no book, Dr. Bill Robinson. Bookless as always. Jesus, again? I'm sure none of the emailers will comment that you don't have a book. (laughs) Don't worry. Don't worry, Bill. I didn't get a book until I was 17. (laughs) Book them, Dano. Illiteracy is a terrible I've had a rough week, thing. man. I've had a rough week, and it's only Wednesday. Hey, I have a, I've had a rough life, and I'm still bringing a damn book, so don't don't start with me, all right? And you know what makes a rough week better? Reading comic books. <laughs> yes. But some people, you know, some people can't be bothered. Some people just sit with a toilet seat. Hey! <laughs> I resemble that remark. Oh, <laughs> wait. certainly I do. do. Uh, so we, we've been... Shooting the breeze a little bit about uh, in June when Two True Freaks is going to be having a huge get together at Eternal Con on Long Island. So people is that who live we're locally, all fat? yeah, yeah, that's okay. what I was saying. Uh, people who live locally, you may want to consider going if you're uh, if you, if you're actually interested in meeting up with us. Uh, on the other hand, you may want to stay away because you know we're going to be there. <laughs> And quick ge- geography lesson. Long Island is that place between all the hipsters in Brooklyn, all the <laughs> and the Hamptons. So you'll be among good people. It'll probably be a good time. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. I used to be one of those Brooklyn guys. <laughs> yeah, but this is but but you're 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 like my father, Brooklyn, like Brooklyn, Brooklyn, not this hipster bullshit Old? that's taken over. Yeah. Well, he's he's younger than my father. I know. I was going to say, you know, Tom, I like you a lot, but please, you know, you're not really doing me any favors here. (laughs) Just shovel that hole deeper. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you're like my. Well, it was great being here. Thank you, and good night. (laughs) You remind me of the first Panarese who made his way to America. (laughs) (laughs) He was probably drunk. (laughs) Well, then I do remind you of. Oh. So, uh, should we, we got like three pieces of email. Should we read them? Yes. Sure. All right. I'll grab the first one, which is from Russell Bragg. And it is titled Sleepwalking Wheelchairs and Photo Boxes. Hi, guys. I finish every episode saying to myself, there's no way they can be funnier than that episode. <laughs> and, you, and you prove me wrong every single time. You guys just crack me up. I I had none of the comics talked about in this I had none of the comics talked about this time. My goal for future episodes is to have all of the books talked about. It may be harder for me when you add an independent sh- comic when it may oh, just be- wait just wait until we do F Troop month, man. He's he's going to love that. <laughs> well, that's going to be a whole two true freaks thing, not just back to the bins. Oh. commentaries <laughs> It may be harder for me when you add an independent comic that show since I don't have that many. I have a Charlton $6 million man, but I hope to complete the series someday. The Lone Ranger Omnibus, the Lone Ranger and Zorro trade, thanks to Scott Gardner for reading an issue on a previous Back to the Bins. It's a very good series, but very sad. 
and an Archie trade about the Archie's superhero personas. But I digress. Thanks for not giving me grief about not seeing a Godfather movie. <laughs> what is the final verdict about doing Godfather commentaries? Scott? I'm, I'm down, man. As am I. I think we're definitely going to have to get to that. Mm-hmm. Bring the cannolis. <laughs> Leave the gun. As I said before, I'd be, all, I'd be all for it. I hope I didn't ramble on too much this email, but I wanted you to know that I enjoyed the episode very much. Thank you once again for keeping me entertained at work. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia, host of the DC Comics Presents show. Mm-hmm. Russell Bragg sleeps with the fishes. <laughs> he, but the problem is he doesn't know what that means. I know, but that's why he's got to go see the movie. <laughs> I don't think he has to go see that movie. I think he has to get that movie to come to him at this point in time. Not, not likely to find it in the theater anyway. Uh, you never know. The, the, the problem with movies like that, and that is my all-time favorite movie, by the way, so I'm not putting it down in any way, but the problem is you hear about it, you hear about it, you hear about it, and then people end up being disappointed just because they've heard so much. It's it's you know it's so much better when you just see this this stuff clean and you haven't gotten any hype at all. Or you've heard every reference ever made and it gets distracting. Yeah, and now all the things that were so incredible in that movie seem like cliches. I would That's like how... to think that that might be one of the movies that could kind of weather that though, because I I mean I didn't see that movie until God I had to be. I had to be in my late 20s, maybe even my early 30s, because I was working in video when I finally got to see that. As a matter of fact, I think I saw it about the year that the chronological cut came out, whatever the hell uh-huh. year that was. That was like in the, was the say 80s, like right? early to mid 80s. Yeah. yeah. And that I think that's the first time I saw it. And so I'd had like a lifetime of buildup for that thing, you know, where people were always referencing the the horse head and everything else and all the, you know, all the quotes from it and everything. And it didn't ruin it for me. I mean, it just, you know, I, I just I, I think it's just a solid movie. And, and so there's certain ones I think that can weather that pretty well. I'd like to think that's one of them. Yeah, well, I would hope. I mean, I, I saw it clean. I was uh, I saw Godfather 2 actually in the movie theater when it was when it was a new movie. Right. Uh, and I had already seen the first Godfather. I don't, I mean, obviously I saw it on TV because I didn't see that in the movie theater. But, uh, you know, I was, I, I think I was 11 or 12 when Godfather 2 came out and I saw it in the movies. So I had to be younger than that when I saw the first Godfather. So I definitely saw it clean. Right. I loved it, though. On the flip side, though, come to think of it, I mean, that's not my genre. So I've never seen like say like The Sopranos. I remember I watched Goodfellas once. I don't even know if I really paid that much attention to it because I don't remember anything. You know, so if I was steeped in that genre, I might. You know, but but never saw the original Godfathers. I might you know look at it retroactively and be kind of like you said, like it's just that's yeah, a string of cliches, you know. So I guess it just depends on your perspective on something like that, but. Well, oh, I still love Goodfellas, by the way. So yeah, I would say maybe you should give that a second viewing. I, I might have to one of these days. I, I remember seeing it when it was new on video and everything was just you know. I, I mean, I didn't like dislike it. I just don't really remember like anything about it. At and all. I it just didn't make much of an impression one way or the other. I haven't watched oh. that all the way through in almost twenty years. There are certain certain things where uh, I'm very easygoing on on my. Uh, you know, on my rankings, superhero mm-hmm. movies. I'm still. I, I admit, I'm a soft touch. I I, I am quick to to like. Right. Most of them. Uh, the gangster movies, which I do enjoy, I enjoy the genre, uh, but I'm a little bit more critical of them. I right. hate 
Scarface. I think that movie sucks. I don't think I've seen that whole movie. Uh, I'm not a fan at all of Casino. Are you talking the Al Pacino Scarface? Yeah. Yeah, I only ever saw that once, and I didn't see what the big friggin' deal was. For one thing, he just, he cusses way too much in that movie, which is a funny thing for me to say, but... Yeah, no, it's it's a cartoon. It really is. And I saw Casino on VHS, and I remember the first the first tape was excellent, and the second tape, which I guess is this back end of the movie, is was terrible. It was like I just killed the conversation. Oh, the thought. Oh no, no, it was like yeah, it was just like I don't know. I just it was like half of a good movie. I didn't even th- I, honestly. I, I didn't like it at all. I, I even even the build up to it. I didn't like it. I didn't like. Uh, was a what's the other one that he did? That uh, Pacino. Another one that was kind of like oh Carlito's way. Carlito's way. Didn't yeah, like didn't that at all. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I, I like the genre, but so you ca- yeah. said Casino, and you started to talk about the two tapes, and I was about to chime in and going, "Oh, that movie sucked." And then I remembered, wait, I'm thinking of the wrong movie. The one I was thinking of was Heat, which was also two tapes. Oh, God, that also so. F- I, I I hated that movie. I was like, God, this. I, I don't even know why I watched it. Why I stuck with it so long? Because I, I raved about it like it was. Yeah, good. yeah. I, that yeah. one was. I didn't like that one. Yeah, but so, I'm not. I'm not I, crazy I I, about him. I mean, beyond the, the beyond the Godfather movies, I think the only other thing I've ever liked him in was when he was uh, Big Boy Caprice in Dick Tracy. Beyond that, I can't think of it. Uh, another one. I can give you one more where I think it was an excellent performance. Dog Day. What's that? Dog Day Afternoon's good. I've never seen. Great that. movie. Yeah, I, I, that's one of those ones that's been on my list for years, but I've just never gotten around to watching it. But, but out, outside of the Godfather movies and that one, I don't think there is a movie that he gave a great performance. And I'll, I'll give you Dick Tracy. But uh, people talk about And Justice for All because he does the You're All Out of Order speech. Big deal. Right. Chewing up scenery. I could have done that. I thought that was in uh, Stink of a Woman, though. No, no, that, no, that was, was that was. Yeah, you know, I hated they gave, that. God, they, I hated best that actor for that. And people <laughs> raved about it. Oh, he's a blind guy and he's doing the tango. Yeah, but you know what? The actor isn't really blind. He, he never acts best. like he's blind either. Through the whole yeah. thing, he never acts like he's blind. <laughs> and, and he played um, uh, Roy Cohn in Angel in the TV movie version of Angels in America, and was good but he yelled half his lines and that's kind of what he's done for the last like 10 or 15 years at least maybe he just yells half of his lines kind of the way the same way de niro seems to default to a certain delivery lately as well and i like both actors i'm not trying to what did you guys think of him in uh what was it with robin williams was insomnia yeah i I thought i thought i thought the the movie was a good cure for it <laughs> was that adapted from the Stephen King book? No, no. no. Uh, okay. I was going to say that'd book. be one. It is Just a book, messed up. Not movie. a Stephen King book. That's uh, that's your good friend Christopher Nolan. Oh, good lord! That's why. Yeah, I haven't that's seen right. It. That's right. Another conversation killer. Brought to you by Christopher Nolan. <laughs> That's all right. Truncate silence takes care of all that shit. Yeah. I don't. Oh, but then that gag. But then that gag doesn't work with the silence and the stuff <laughs> and the thing and the yeah. Or in the morning. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I got I got distracted. I want porn. <laughs> no. That link. No, no, not even close. My daughter had questions. She's packing for Disney. Ah. Uh, she's packing heat. Ooh. She's packing heat. <laughs> Gonna get me a mouse. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, zippity doo da. Moving off the uh, <laughs> moving off the gangster movies. Uh, why don't we go over to our second email? Uh, Bill, do you have the email open? 
Uh, sure. Yeah. Because this, this goes to this one goes to an episode I wasn't on, so you may want to read it. Well, okay. Well, and so does the next one. But hey, guys, and this comes from again from Russell Bragg, and it's back to the bins number one eighty four super tangent team up. Hi, guys. I never in a million years thought I what, is is this a penthouse form letter? <laughs> I never oh, thought oh, it happened to me. <laughs> I never in a million years. I had resign. I had resigned myself through another night of reading your magazine when I, there was a knock at the door. <laughs> <laughs> I was hitchhiking on a road and a van. Oh, see, well, I guess we've all read many of those. Anyway, <clears throat> I never in a million years thought I would be starting one of my emails this way. Paul, you were missed. Damn right. I never thought you wouldn't. Oh, be is this there. that nonsensical episode? If I wasn't hey. there, it was. What do you mean nonsensical? That was the last. Well, that's one my show. <laughs> I never thought you wouldn't be there for an episode, and it threw me a little. However, it wasn't. What? It wasn't. <laughs> it right was a very. Stairs. It was a very good show and very very funny. Russell is apparently very diplomatic and tries to make you feel good. Was that uh, like the time? All the shows. Which one was this? It was with Luke and I when we did Marvel Supervillain Team Up with Doctor. Yeah, Doom the nonsensical episode. That's what That's I said. That's not nonsensical. Well, I couldn't make heads or tails of the damn thing. Well, so You're was an idiot. Like the, so was it like <laughs> when they replaced? <laughs> oh yeah. So it's like when they replaced Luke and Bo Duke with Koi and Van. Hey, so. hey, whoa, whoa, watch it, buddy. I don't, I don't want to hear about that. You know, no, I am not the Bo and Luke Duke replacement. Luke Jack and <laughs> Luke Jack and Eddie and I are not. Whatever, Koi and Vance, whatever those guys. To strive to to reach the level of Koi and Vance. (laughs) When when Adventures of Superman went off the air, what was it they were going to replace them as? Was it monkeys or dogs or something? Dogs. Dogs. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what it reminded me of. They also do remember they they talked about like making it a Jimmy Olsen series and using uh, stock footage of George George Reeves. How how tasteless was that? It was it was either the Duke's reference or just calling you the second Darren or something like that. You know, that you're Dick Stevens instead of Dick, Dick, Dick Sergeant, Sergeant, instead of Dick Sergeant instead of Dick York. Sergeant York, whatever. <clears throat> anyway, I had never heard of the Marvel Supervillains team up comic. The issue discussed kept me interested. I may have have to look up the series and see if it's something I would like I, I would want to collect. I'm thinking it will be. Dr. Bill you should have tried to incorporate a Paul Spataro life model decoy in the episode. Not mm. everyone has that ability. Yeah. I totally understand why you didn't, because I'm sure it would take a lot of time to find voice clips and such. Yeah, that would, involve, lazy, um, but... that would involve, what's what's that word? Oh, work. work. Yeah. 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 Effort. It would have been hilarious. I, f- I forgot how you and Luke started talking about, sp- about Space Ghost, but here is the voice character list. And Gary Owens played Space Ghost. Ginny Tyler played Jan. Tim Matheson, because that's what we were talking about. Somehow we got onto that. Played Jace. And Don Mesnick was Blip, the monkey. Guess that's all for now. And, and once Jerry again, Mathers as the beaver. Beaver. Ward, weren't you a little hard on the beaver last night? <laughs> and once again, thank you for keeping me entertained at work. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia host of the DC Comics Presents show. Okay, why you, Bill, man. why don't you read the third email also so that we can make this totally self-involved day for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you oh, yes. Yes, because I love the last line of this one. <laughs> and this Does is... bring a book ends up to being the most popular person on Back to the Bend. Well, how the hell does that work? Because I'm the Irony. rock star. <sighs> <Jesus. Irony. laughs> 
This is entitled Back to the Bins 185 or Bill and Luke's Further Adventures. And this is from our friend Tim Elliott. Hi, guys. Just wanted to shoot off a quick email and tell you how much I enjoyed Back to the Bins 185. I could listen to Bill and Luke talk random geek topics, random geek topics on a regular basis. With pithy comments like that, who could blame him? <laughs> I can relate to the topic of your... Oh, yes. I can relate to the topic of your significant other dealing with all the stuff we geeks drag home. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> No, <laughs> it's not a euphemism. My wife is pretty uh, understanding about my collecting slash hoarding, and I am allowed one bedroom to store slash display my comics and toys. And I think and sleep in <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or put the car in. Oh. I think tangent episodes are nice every so often. It's a nice palate cleanser. Yeah, because you guys weren't around. Oh, sorry. Oh, did I say that out loud? That was my own pithy commentary. Keep diving into the bins. Tim, Carlton, Texas. Well, thank you very Carrollton. much. Carrollton, Carlton, Carlton, Carrollton. Carlton, you're Norman. Who was also <laughs> the voice of what cartoon character? Garfield. Yes. Lorenzo Music. That's his name? Yep. Oh. Now, well, thank you very much, sir. I, Luke and I had a blast on that, and you know maybe we'll get together again. Uh, we're, we're actually going to do a um, Earth Destruction Directive some, somewhere down the road. Yeah, maybe you ought to so. stick to that show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was just listening to you on Anime Freaks today, so I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I thought it. He actually said it. I love it. Oh, you know what? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What can I tell you? If, if, if the podcast fits... You know, it was so nice having two shows without you knuckleheads on there. What, what I like is that Scott actually was the more diplomatic, nicer guy, and I'm dragging him into the abuse bill pit. <laughs> oh, and I heard there was some abuse on one of the Star Wars shows I haven't listened to about me being the subject of abuse. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. What? Love it. I, I, uh, I'll explain <laughs> that to you because he got that from me. I was listening to not Star Wars. Uh, yeah, the, uh, growing up Star Wars. Yeah, Growing Up Star Wars is the, the TTF one, right? Right. As opposed yes. to my Star Wars stories. I get them confused. But you you and Chris were ragging on Rifen, and then you said, <laughs> yeah, we're turning you into this show's Dr. Bill. Bring out the gimp. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So I so I told I told Bill, you know, look, see, you're someone that, that they strive to uh, to emulate now. Damn, I edit that show, and I forgot about that. So the person that gets belittled is now the Dr. Bill. Oh, okay. <laughs> you do, you're gonna, we're going to earn you a Wikipedia page with this. <laughs> oh, no. I just Dr. Billed you. You've been Dr. <laughs> Bill. And that's uh, well, our email bag today. Mm-hmm. Why, I wasn't on any of those episodes. <laughs> oh, I, I, I hate to tell you, but it's been a little while, my friend. I know. Well, what happens to the emails for the episodes that I'm on? Do you even get emails for those episodes? We, we ditch them because we don't want to hurt your feelings. I guess. I think, I think we read all those already. Well, you, the I haven't heard them. you were on, Scott, seriously, the last show you were on was the 1984 review. Oh, I wow, way back in 1984. Yeah. That was 30 years ago, dude. Yeah, I know. Wow. <laughs> so we did get some email about that show, but it's been read already. So that was the last show of 2014. February. Damn. You guys suck. <laughs> we suck because you're not available when we're recording. Because you keep recording when I'm not available. We suck because the show must go on. Okay. Yeah, this is very true. This is very true. No, I'm just teasing. 
No, I, I know, I know. I need to be, I need to be here more often. Is I have to sleep sometimes. <laughs> uh, between sleep and work and hanging out with those people, the, the family. oh, family. Yeah, that. Uh, <laughs> those those virtual strangers in the other room. Yes. Oh, you mean the people on my sprint fam uh, family plan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The people who are actually out, allowed inside your house, Bill. <laughs> They're allowed in the garage, too. <laughs> they just can't touch anything. Except the laundry. And the lawnmower. No, the, 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 the lawnmower's in the shed in the backyard with the snake that I think the dog keeps trying to get at. But there's something in there that's moving around and the dog keeps going nuts. But that's another story for another time. Does it put the lotion on its skin? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I, I opened the door and something jumped in there and I closed the door real quick. I'm like, well, I don't know what that was, but I'm not opening this door. <laughs> and the dog's like, little garage, you'll be safe. Yeah. Spielberg made that movie, so. Do <laughs> so you think we got to get Bill some Reese's pieces or a speaking spell? Oh, that reminds me. Like uh, the alien would get any of the pieces, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which I haven't seen that movie yet. But <laughs> that's okay because now you don't realize you've been insulted. We'll just keep moving along. <laughs> oh no, I yeah, whatever. Yeah. He's numb. He doesn't move know he was. Move along. That's because he's been sitting on that toilet all this time. His legs <laughs> fell asleep. So he's like uh, Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon Two. <laughs> yeah, that's the second time today that Danny Glover has come up in my life because I was just mentioning earlier today that I, I'm getting more Danny Glover all the time because I'm getting Why, too old. Why just have kids old for this shit? <laughs> yes, that was exactly you, it. You know, I, I do have a thought that occurred to me when you were you were reading his letter, and I'm just going to make you guys feel old for a second. You you said Carlton, and you're talking about Carlton the Dormant. I'm thinking of Alfonso Ribeiro and the Fresh Prince. <laughs> I expect to hear Tom Jones dance <laughs> around. <laughs> well, Tom, Tom Jones shouldn't be making you feel younger. Right. Tom Jones is great, man. I love. He's Tom great. Jones. Yeah, he's fine. But Tom Jones came around in like 1968. He yeah. shouldn't make you feel young because you think of him. No, no, the no. He's talking about the oh, Fresh Carlton. Prince of Bel Air. The yeah. Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah, well, the yeah. Fresh Prince of Bel Air. That's that shows was what was that on like a year ago? <laughs> no, that was actually that was what, what was that? That was the nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That but Will Smith. Real... He's not getting anywhere. <laughs> not lately. What was uh, uh, he's going to be in the up, uh, yeah. the Suicide Squad? Right. What? Mm, yeah, apparently. Is he like is he Deadshot or I don't Will know. Smith? Yeah. Jesus. I'm trying to remember. I, he, he's supposed to be in Suicide Squad. I don't remember if that's who he's playing or not. I tend to ignore most casting news. I tend to ignore it's probably most wise. DC casting news. I just, I'm, I'm tired of people bitching at each other about these movies. I'd like to see the movie and then make a judgment. So I've been trying to avoid a lot of the, the pre-press flipping out over shit because it's just not worth my time. <laughs> I just think it's funny because every time I see one, then I'm thinking, okay, come on. And then it turns out to be true, and I'm like, wow, really? Okay. You know, it's just, man, you know, DC is just, man, can they just make a good decision? At least occasionally would be nice, but oh well. Well, I mean, I have no idea about how Suicide Squad's going to be, so I'm, I'm, I'm not passing any judgment on that early on. And I usually try, Tom, I, I do exactly what you're saying. 
uh, I try to keep an open mind throughout. Yeah. And I wait until I actually see the movie before I'm ready to blast it. But I, I got to tell you, I'm making an exception for this Fantastic Four movie. Everything about it looks to be horrible. The only yeah. way they're getting a dime of my money is if it opens up and people start, people who, whose opinion I respect start saying, no, no, this is good. Mm-hmm. That's the only way they're getting a penny from me. Otherwise, I'm just sitting back and I'll wait until it shows up on free TV. Yeah. Oh, and Will Smith is playing Deadshot. I just looked it up on IMDb. Wow. Hmm. Wow. You guys been watching The Flash? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm about two episodes behind, but yeah, I've been mm. watching it. I'm I'm digging it so far. Yeah. Did yeah, you watch I, last I night? I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. No, no spoilers since Tom's two episodes. Right. Sorry. Right. But, right. but we we did, we did see a we we did have a glimpse of a villain that we've been waiting to see. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Cool. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I had to think for a second. I'm like, who? My my daughter's in the room while we're recording this, and just hearing us talk about the Flash is getting her all excited. She loves the show. <laughs> it's a good show. My wife likes the show. Well, so. she's she's a big fan of the show Glee, and uh, Grant Gustin 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 was was on that show first. That's okay. actually how she she got me to watch Arrow because she knew that Grant Gustin, who was in Glee, was going to be playing the Flash. And that's how we got started on it. So she's she's the oh, one okay. on this whole road. So I, I give her a little bit of geek cred on this Very as she cool. walks around the house in her Superman onesie. <laughs> anyway, we should do some books, shouldn't we? Yeah. So I'm just looking. Just by the way, uh, the IMD page. I, I'm going to just go back to that for a second. The IMDb page for Suicide Squad uh, under writers. The first name credited is Ross Andrew. Isn't he dead? I thought he had passed away. Maybe they're well, pretty did sure he's just, dead. Did he write some of the original Suicide Squad comics? Maybe he may did have he brought up anything. The... He died. He died in 1993 at 66 years old. Yeah, Are they giving him, him a credit a for maybe the creation of one of the characters? Yeah, maybe they're doing that. He may have been the original artist. I mean, because they're having Harley Quinn, the Joker, Boomerang, Lex Luthor. Yeah, he created oh. Lex Luthor. Well, no, no, oh, I, 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 I'm, 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 no. With I, I, the Andrew Esposito team introduced the non-power, uh, non-superpowered adventurers, the Suicide Squad, in Brave and the Bold, number twenty-five, September nineteen fifty-nine. So he's the one of the artist co-creators. Uh, okay. Suicide Squad. So evidently, it was him, Kaniger, and uh, I'm presuming Mike Esposito. Yeah, Mike Esposito also worked under some uh, aliases. Right. So he he was very prolific in in his day. Did you see they did a whole thing on uh, Comic Book Men where uh, they auctioned off a lot of his artwork? Uh, no, because I can't stand Kevin Smith. I oh, don't yeah, watch me too. I'm glad somebody else said that for a change. Yeah, because I'm yeah I'm totally over Kevin Smith at this point. I can I can tolerate him to a point, but his friends annoy me. They, Kevin uh, Smith to me has become the Michael Moore of the comic book oh world. Oh God, please! Michael Moore first released. What the hell was that movie? Roger Something and Me. I Roger thought, me. this Roger dude me. is brilliant. And then he went straight in the toilet after that. He became such a liberal douchebag that I just can't. Be, I, I, I can't even stand to look at the guy. Even, and I'm starting to feel that way about Kevin Smith. I got to be honest. But even even to me, who who has more of a liberal um who is more of a has more liberal views? He's a, such a caricature of what he originally was that yes. he's just irritating. Yeah, no, so, I totally agree, and I, I don't. You know, I don't want to put anybody in a class with him because he's he's uniquely yeah. annoying. 
Yeah, so yeah, so it was. It's not even his views half the time. It's just him. You know, um, Bill Maher has kind of been the same way lately. Oh, I'm just yeah. like yeah. I, mean, I used to like that. his show. At, yeah, well, that irritates me. The Will Ponds on the. F- I mean, <laughs> yeah. but uh, but the the show Comic Book Men, the first season, I think the you know his his buddies came off as as irritating, self uh, impressed morons. I really. Yeah. Then this when they started the second season, I think they realized that was a problem with the show. Now I'm not saying they aren't irritating, self impressed morons, but they edited the show to make them seem much nicer. Mm-hmm. So it really isn't as annoying to watch any longer. Because that's what turned me off to most of the Smodcast, because I was just like, I got sick of the, the shtick of him and, and everybody else. I was like, I don't have time. I do I do like, actually, though, I, I, I enjoy when he has interviews on Fat Man on Batman. I mean, he had, he had a great interview with Mark Hamill. He's had some yeah. great Neil Adams interviews. I mean, he's done some, uh, what's his name, Kevin Conroy was on there? Excellent interview. Mm-hmm. So I, I got to give Smith credit for that. He does a real good job on those. No, he does. He does, and he he is um, he's kind of up there. Where like uh, Mark Maron is is kind of the same way. There are things about Mark Maron that get really irritating. Yet when he's got a good guest on, what the fuck? I will actually download the episode and uh, his Michael Keaton episode was mm. phenomenal. Uh, and and so. and and in fairness, if you have Neil Adams on your show, uh, you you say Neil, tell me something about yourself, and you could leave the room, and and your show is done. <laughs> I'm gonna go take a smoke break. <laughs> you just go. <laughs> it's because no one likes talking about Neil Adams more than Neil Adams. <laughs> it's like back in the day when uh, rock DJs used to play like in a God of the Vita or something because they obviously <laughs> had the shits. Now, now, what I heard about that song is, and we're totally going tangent into here, but uh, oh, I what know I heard what about that say. song is that the, the song was actually in the Garden of Eden. Exactly. It was so yes. high that you couldn't understand what they were saying. Yep. Yep. You s- well, be, that way the song makes, if you listen to the lyrics, it makes so much more sense when you, when, when you put that, when you change that. Wait, there's lyrics in that song? Yeah. Well, if, if, if have you ever, um, and I, I'm assuming you've seen that Simpsons episode, yeah, yeah. When they put, when they put it, on I the, love at, that in We're, the church and he, the old lady's playing. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the that's one of the best episodes of that show. That's a uh, Bart sells a soul. It is a great, great episode. I don't know if I've ever seen it. I may have to look it up. It's from the um, seventh, eighth, or ninth. Like it's it's in that sort of mid nineties, early to mid nineties era of the Simpsons where that show is firing all, on all cylinders. I don't remember what season it is, uh, but yeah, it's during one of the really really good seasons. To yeah, because it. the whole congregation, uh, the whole church is singing the song too, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah, won't you come with me? Yeah, because Bart Bart pulled a slipped it into the um into the church service, and at one point, like a beach ball goes flying across the church and. <laughs> All right, so we're going to have to truncate this a little. Uh, okay. <laughs> You're going first? Yeah, I'm going to do the Marvel first. We'll bang that one out. I picked Submariner number 14 from June of 1969. <laughs> and uh, it had a cover price of 12 whole cents. The cover is by Marie Severin and inked by Frank Giacoya and Sam Rosen. Shows the Submariner gasping for air within a circle of flame, apparently created by a somewhat bulky-looking human torch who's in the background. Title of the story is Burn, Namor, Burn, written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Marie Severin, 
inked by Joe Gordioso, colored by Maurice Severin, lettered by Sam Rosen, and edited by the one and only Stanley. By edited, I think it means he put his name on the book, because Stan probably right. had nothing to do with it by this time. The story opens with Namor underwater and being bothered by a school of prehistoric fish. Why are they prehistoric? I don't know. Anyway, one of the lodges strikes Namor in a blind, senseless panic. He then notices that there are many dead fish floating on the surface and starts to hypothesize that this is due to the deviltry of the accursed air breathers. And they shall soon feel the sting of the submariner, blah, 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 blah. He then sees smoke rising from some volcanoes, and as he begins to investigate, he is attacked by the Human Torch. Namor believes that the Torch is seeking vengeance for his recent battle with the Thing, which was done in Submariner number 8, six issues earlier. As the Torch bombards Namor with flame, driving the fluids from him, Namor takes one of his bracelets and uses it as brass knuckles, but in his weakened state, he isn't able to strike hard enough. The Torch continues his attack and steps forward, revealing himself to be not Johnny Storm, but the original Human Torch. He then uses a communicator to advise of all people the Mad Thinker that the Submariner is their captive. The Thinker gives, gives him the order to kill Namor. The Torch rears back, creating a giant flame ball, but cannot take that killing blow. At that point, the Thinker causes the Torch unbearable pain using some sort of control collar. While this is going on, the Submariner drags himself back to the water to revive himself. We cut to the Thinker, who's in contact with Lex Luthor, uh, I mean the Puppet Master, with whom he has an alliance. During their conversation, the Thinker doesn't really think, and he smashes his communication device with the Torch. As the Torch takes note of the lack of communication, he's engulfed by a tidal wave. Submariner says he doesn't have to worry about killing the Torch since he's an android and androids can't die. He swims circles around the torch, causing a whirlpool. So now, with the torch neutralized, we flash back to the Thinker, reviving him. And then we have a flashback within the flashback to his original presentation in Marvel Comics number 1 back in 1939. They review his partnership with the youth called Toro and his first modern appearance in FF Annual number 4. We learn that he has no actual memory other than flip film clips that were shown to him by the Thinker and that he's being controlled by an amulet and collar around his neck that can cause him that overwhelming pain that we saw earlier. The Thinker has him bury a device inside a volcano and then cause an eruption to charge the device and return it to him. Following that, we observe a meeting between the Thinker, the Puppet Master, and Egghead where they're discussing their plans to rule the world much like Pinky and the Brain. As we return from the flashback, the Torch tells Namor that his, the tidal wave damaged the pain-causing amulet, and so his will is now his own, and the two can join forces, in typical Marvel Comics style. Our three villains decide to run a test before putting their evil plan into effect, and the test is apparently putting their evil plan into effect. And so they engage some type of energy device that cuts off all power, but somehow manage to send a message that terms of surrender will be provided in one hour. In response to the message, there's a splash page showing a plethora of Marvel heroes reacting to the message with an orgasmic-looking shot of Egghead in the center. As this was transpiring, the Torch and Namor make their way to the Thinker's hideout. As they make their way in, the Torch is struck by a force bolt. As the Thinker shoots energy at the Torch, the Submariner attacks the machine that the Thinker is protecting. The attack causes the Thinker to drop his gun, and Namor takes the opportunity to crush it. 
as he gets ready to open a can of whoop-ass on the thinker, they see that the torch was charged by the ray and is growing hotter and hotter. Namor uses a sheet of asbestos-lined metal to whisk the torch from the building and into the sea. When they revive, his memory is returned and his hair is no longer blonde. Turns out that he isn't the torch at all, but his young ally Toro. He tells how he's read about the torch's encounter with the FF and was attending the funeral service for the torch, but somehow was drugged outside of the funeral with coffee, yeah, and then brainwashed by the thinker. The thinker attempts to flee at that point in an airship, but Toro causes the ship to explode, presumably killing both himself and the thinker. And that's the end of our story. <sighs> Whew, man, that's a mouthful. Yeah, well, that's, that that's is what she said. That is compressed storytelling as opposed to what we get nowadays. That would easily be six issues if that came out now. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, this the, is this the Vincent Price egghead? Oh, wait, that would be DC. Never mind. Excellent. <laughs> Exquisite. I'm, I'm kind of of two minds on this thing, because I remember reading this, not when it was new, because I wasn't reading comics quite yet, but like a few years after it came out, and I thought it was really, really good at the time. Now... I don't know, some of the plot devices seem so much more silly than they did back then, and the artwork doesn't seem quite as fluid to me as it did then either. So my, my opinion has gotten worse over the years, but it's still pretty solid. I don't think it's a bad issue. I just don't think it's as good as I once did. Had you guys ever read this one before? I've um, been wanting to read this one for some time because... Um... One of the last things that I subscribed to at Marvel when I was, uh, you know, when I still had a regular subscription box was the Avengers Invaders, uh, that 12 issue maxi series that they had that was Marvel and Dynamite put it out. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever guys ever read that or not. It was actually surprisingly good. I really enjoyed that. And uh, it was coming out concurrently with some big Marvel event at the time. I want to say maybe Secret Invasion, and I liked that so much better than I liked Secret. You know, I'm meaning Avengers Invaders. I liked that so much better, and I stuck with it the whole way through. Well, at the end of that story, um, Bucky, uh, Bucky Barnes, who had been re- resurrected as the uh, Winter Soldier, used the Cosmic Cube and basically did. In that story for Toro, what I had always thought and frankly what I had always hoped Steve Rogers had done for Bucky um, in in the Brubaker storyline, he used the Cosmic Cube to bring Toro back, which is what I always thought was going to be the big reveal in the Winter Soldier storyline is that Cap had somehow used the, the Cosmic Cube to bring Bucky back and maybe at the end they would put Bucky back where they found him kind of thing and then of course they didn't do that. But to the best of my knowledge, Toro is back in the modern DCU or yeah, DCU Marvel U right now because of the end of that story. Uh, I was reading somewhere today that um, Toro actually got, um, I don't know if it was a series or a mini or what, but right after Avengers Invaders, he got a series for a time. Um, I think it was called The Torch. So basically he, he did what he did here where he took over the mantle of the Human Torch. Um, I haven't ever read that. I'd like to track that down too. But anyway, following that um, that uh, maxi series, I had a, a brief kind of fascination with the character of Toro, and was trying to track you know track down some of his more 
modern, you know, like like post Silver Age appearances and all. And I know that this one was on my radar, and I've been meaning to read it, but uh, I, I hadn't made it to it until now. Um, I th- I liked it. I thought it was kind of you know it was kind of mixed. It wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be because I knew that this was where he died and everything. But uh, I, I just thought, I guess I thought it would happen differently than what I had read in. Um, you know, whatever a, a wiki article or or a, a hot move entry or whatever the hell it was that I was looking at before, but I, I thought it was interesting. Didn't didn't Toro and the original Human Torch appear in West Coast Avengers when John Byrne was writing it, or sometime just after that? I know the Torch. Human Torch did. I'm not sure about Toro. Yeah, because they found Toro the was in there. Well, there mm. was that big storyline where it was ultimately revealed where. Um, for because for the longest time it was believed that the vision was Vision's constructed body. out of the, the basically the corpse of the original Human Torch, and I think if I'm not mistaken, I think that it was Burn that put the lie to that whole thing. But the mm-hmm. problem was is that it had been long established, and there were stories that had come out, and so there was all this conflict. And I think it wasn't until Avengers, how was the name of that twelve issue Maxi Avengers by- Forever. Forever, yeah, where yeah. they finally resolved it, and basically it was Busick that said, "Well, kind of both are true because the the torch was like split into two beings or something, where there was the one that actually did die and was buried, and then there was the one that did become the human torch. So it was kind of weird how they resolved that whole thing, but but I don't remember Toro being part of that, but that's not to say that he wasn't because I only have the vaguest of memories of that of that burn run on uh, West Coast. I have not uh, reread that again since it was new coming out on the stands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I had read the Avengers Invaders maxi when it came out, and but I don't remember, I don't remember the portion of it where they explained the return of Toro. I just have no memory of that at all. That was, was at the very I, end of the book. That was like the last thing that happens in that is uh, is Bucky. Um, I want to say like Bucky's at his graveside or something like that, and and that's where the the cube is. I, again, I haven't read that since it was new either, but uh, that that's how I kind of remember it anyway. But I know that uh, that the like the last reveal at the very you know like the last issue last like page of that was the reveal that that Toro survived the encounter and was now loose in the modern Marvel universe. Yeah, I. I... I, and it's funny because as I was reading this, I was saying, did they keep him dead? You know, I know he's back now. How did he come back? And and I couldn't uh, I couldn't recall. But so I'm glad you you, you put a little light on that. Sort of. Well, yeah, <laughs> as as at least a little bit. <laughs> uh, you know, and and just just talking about this issue a little bit. Uh, Marie Severin as an artist, I've always been kind of fond of, and she always seemed to me to be just like a step below, but very, very similar to her brother, John, uh, who was mostly, you know, Western books and, and the like. But uh, the, the styles are very, very similar as far as how they draw faces. Uh, and and reading this one, I'm, I'm thinking this isn't her best work because I, I, I remember seeing stuff that looked much better than this. Uh, and I, I, I think it may, may be the inking. I'm not sure. But it doesn't look as fluid as I remember her artwork being, and and that's a disappointment to me. And everyone uh, is silent. No, I'm just trying to think of where I've seen her her, her work before. She she did some work on the Hulk. Uh, I think it was towards the end of the Tales to Astonish run. Mm. That's what I specifically remember. She also did some work on, uh, you know, on the uh, parodies in uh, Not Brandech. Yeah, Maybe that's where, where I okay. recognize the name. 
Yeah, maybe that's where I'm seeing, you know. You Otherwise, can... off the top of my head, I can't tell you specific issues she did. I think she may have done an issue or two of yeah. Iron Man, uh, again, in that, that same, uh, you know, late 60s, early 70s era. I'm not yeah, 100% I, sure about that. I do have a lot of the early Iron Mans. Maybe that's where I'm picking this vibe up from. I was, can... I, like I said, I always thought her art was very, very fluid in the way the, the characters looked, and I always liked that. I always found that to be uh, very, very compelling. Did... And and in this particular issue, they look a little bit more stiff to me, and, and I like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to put it on the inking because it just doesn't seem to be comparable to her normal style. Mm-hmm. Did she do the cover too? Yeah, and she had two inkers for the cover. Mm. So, and I mean, I generally find Frank Giacoya to be a, a solid inker. So, the cover's not bad. Uh, in fact, in, in particular, I, I like the way Namor looks on the cover. I think the torch doesn't look that great. But I think that may be an, a, a conscious effort on the part of the artist and inkers uh, to to try and make him look a little bit different than the Johnny Storm Human Torch. You know, not not telegraph, oh, this isn't Johnny Storm, but just be a little bit more subtle than that. And I think that may be what they did there. And that might be why he looks a little bulkier than what I normally would expect. I'm I'm amazed that, you know, this is a 20-page story and there's so much in here. I mean, we've got multiple flashbacks. Yeah, you got a flashback within a flashback. We have a flashback got from a volcano. character who the flashback didn't actually happen for. Yeah. Wow. But he was shown film. Mm-hmm. I think we that's have three... what he said, right? Yeah. Yes, that's what he we said. Have, we have three villains, and when did the, since when did the puppet master get such a snazzy uh, uh, outfit? Yeah, that was around that time. That was that was his look at mm-hmm. that time. Yes, yeah, I didn't even realize it appeared in Tales to Astonish. In fact, they had done a story, if if my memory is correct, they had done something where he had encountered the Hulk and Submariner as they were coexisting in the same book, but in different stories along the same timeline. Like they kind of crossed over but didn't, which I think was very clever at the time. Hmm. Oh, I looked real quick. Um, Yeah, I don't think Toro was in West Coast Avengers. I saw that looks like the Human Torch was in Avengers West Coast 50, and yeah. I scanned a little bit ahead past that, and I don't, see, and it doesn't show Toro being in there. So maybe they just did it in a flashback or something was what I was thinking. So yeah, there might have been something. There, there definitely could have been a flashback. That would be uh, that would certainly make sense. And I know Jim Hammond uh, was in there as the Torch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wonder. You know, like I, I don't know. I, I don't know if Jim Hammond the name. Was a creation of the reintroduced, you know, Silver Age or actually Bronze Age, uh, Human Torch, or if that was a name that actually existed in the Golden Age that I didn't realize. I'm not sure hmm. about that. I don't, know. I don't know if he had a civilian identity to speak of. I can't say I've ever. Read oh, I see. Which, okay, yeah. Mm, I just looked at an entry form and it says he was. Uh, mm, oh yeah, because if he was a creation, who would have? Yeah, I guess. If, uh, Dr. Horton would have given him a name, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, I, don't I don't know that I've ever read any uh, Golden Age adventures of the of the Torch. I've I've read precious little Golden Age Marvel, and I've read you know somewhat more Golden Age you know Batman and Superman, thanks uh, largely to uh, from the 30s to the 70s books yeah, that, that came out. That stuff's right. been reprinted a lot too. Yeah, those have been more readily available too. Yeah. But I, I remember they did a, a series, if you remember the, the Human Torch, the Johnny Storm Human Torch was featured in Strange Tales uh, at one point as a, you know, in his own feature. 
right. uh, and you know he shared the book with uh, Doctor Strange and uh, I th- I, yeah I just think it was with Doctor Strange because then he left and Nick Fury replaced him but they you know they were half book stories and when at the point when I started collecting they actually came out with a series The Human Torch which reprinted those books for half the book. And right. then the other half would be a, a golden age human torch story. So I'm, I, I don't even have any specific memories of them, but I must have read those at a to- at, at that time. But that would be the extent of my golden age exposure to the human torch. Riveting, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, what little <laughs> what little I can remember is just him popping up, like when he popped up in in FF. I think it was one of the annuals or something. Number four. And then uh, when he came back uh, in West Coast, and that's. That's about all I can really remember of him. I always thought he was cool, though. I, I liked that his costume was different than Johnny's and everything. Well, at the, at the time when I started collecting, that was when Johnny Storm had the red costume. Right, yeah. Which was oh, yeah. to basically to to emulate that. You know, he talked about it. I, th- I think it was something where, like, you know, he thought to some extent that the cosmic rays affected him the way they did because he loved the original Human Torch. You know, he was a big fan. And and that's why he ended up getting the red costume. I always thought that he was kind of mislabeled, though, being an android, because I always thought saw him as more of like a like a synthetic man rather than a. When I think of an android, I think of like underneath his skin, he's he's a robot. You know, he's nuts and bolts. And I I don't really think that that was the thing with him at all. I think he was more like a almost like a data. You know, where it was. Not so much wires and circuits and stuff, but you know, actual like uh, synthetic reproductions of of you know a, a human man, you know. Mm-hmm. But that that was always my idea. I don't know if that really you know bears out in any of the stories or what. But I, well, I, I think that's hmm? I think that's the distinction that they try to make with between a robot and an android. I right. That's, that's what Marvel tried to do. So they you know they would give the androids basic <coughs> credit as being effectively. Uh, you know, closer to human and, you know, that they were sentient beings and, you know, that they were alive. They, they were literally alive as, as, as written. So the vision, the human torch, <laughs> I guess Ultron to some extent. Right. You know, I'm, I'm not sure who else I would classify that way in Marvel. But they certainly don't treat them as robots. Right. So uh, just to... to go to this issue a little bit you know some of the details here i hate the way she drew egghead in here i like on page 13 that one in the middle the one you called orgasmic uh, egghead i think he actually looks more like dickhead there than he looks like (laughs) (laughs) you see something spurred out of the top (laughs) that looks disgusting I love how the thing just turns the TV off. And it's just like, <laughs> time for this. Anybody know got, nobody got time for this. That, that Orson Welles don't Wells fool me Wells. twice. Yeah. I think that's misspelled too, isn't it? What? Is that how Wells? Orson Welles spelled his last yeah, name? Yeah, I don't think he looks did. Misspelled I don't think it was W-E-L-L-E-S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, well, uh, it is the thing. He's not a great thinker. So. Well, somebody and, was talking about that. I recently heard somebody talking. I couldn't tell you what show it was on. But they were talking about the thing saying... They present him as sometimes as being a buffoon and stupid. Right. And that that's a bad presentation. He shouldn't be presented that way. He should be presented as more carefree. And that's why he, you know, doesn't always worry about trying to word things correctly or whatever. But that he should be shown as very intelligent otherwise because this is a guy who was basically, you know, uh, a strong enough pilot that he was an astronaut. Yeah. 
And and you wouldn't have a guy who's an idiot doing that. No. You know, basically, yeah. he's an engineer. I, I think but I'm a lot like the, the thing. Most hmm. of them are rocket scientists in some way or another. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, I will uh, argue that in the fact especially that... Especially yes, the early ones. <laughs> he had to be skilled and knowledgeable and such to be... Uh, a test pilot and eventually, you know, chosen for the astronaut program and all that. But how smart could you be to go into space and you don't even put any tinfoil around your your rocket ship so that you don't get bombarded with cosmic <laughs> rays? You know. Yeah, I got it. he should he should have had his 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 tinfoil covered helmet on. Exactly, he could have borrowed right. it from Chris Honeywell. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, don't don't pick on the thing and don't pick on Doctor Bill anymore. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Your raw version of the thing, Bill. What a revolting development. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, just just to go into the the ratings on this thing, I, I keep going back to the fact that I I'm not thrilled with the way the torch is depicted on the cover, but I also keep going back to the fact that I think that was a conscious effort to make him look different than Johnny Storm. So, other than that little discomfort I have, I really like this cover. I love the way that this that Namor is shown in there. Uh, I think the flames look really good. I think the color palette is pretty cool. I'm I'm pretty happy with the cover. I'm gonna give it a B. The interior art, it's not Marie Severin at her best. There's a couple of the character models I'm not happy with, particularly Egghead. Uh, and even even some of the shots of the thinker, he looks just a little off. He looks a little inconsistent in the way he's drawn. So I'm going to give the interior artwork a C plus, and although the in, the internal logic of the story is weak at times, I think it's a pretty solid story. It's a lot that goes on. It brings you through pretty cleanly, and it's still interesting throughout. So I'm going to give the uh, the story a B plus, and give the the book an overall B. Once again, greeted with silence. <laughs> I will jump in. I like the cover. Um, I like the uh, Namor's getting Johnny Cash there, down, down in a burning ring of fire. Um, So I guess the cover, I'll go with a B-plus as well. And, yeah, I'm thinking I've seen Marie Severn from my early issues of Iron Man. Um, Like you said, some of the characters, they look a little off, but uh, I'm going to give it a C-plus as well. And the story... (laughs) The story is, you know, pr- pretty fun for this era. I'm going to probably pump it up a little bit and give it a B. So I guess it's going to be like a like a B- minus for me. I, uh, I've i never really read much from this era, and I've never really read much anymore. Um, <clears throat> but I, I find myself agreeing with both of you guys. The cover is... The cover is kind of cool, but at this, you know, and, and I'll give it about a B plus or so because it's uh, the the torch does look a little weird, uh, but Namor, Namor is drawn pretty well. It's definitely dynamic and eye catching. The art inside is pretty stiff at times, um, even though it, it it's serviceable though. It's it's not um, it's not horrible. It doesn't take you out of the story, but it doesn't transcend the writing in any way so um i'd probably give that about a b minus and then the story itself you know overall the comic i think you guys are right it's a solid b it's it's a fun like pick it off the newsstand read it having never read any of these comics before it was easy for me to follow um to this day i do not understand why namor is quite possibly the most temperamental character 
in the Marvel Universe. I mean, he's just a bitch. He's chemically but, imbalanced. He's such a bitch. Um, but but overall, I mean, I think that there were. I, I, I like the little. I like the little references to other Marvel stories. I liked. I did as as much as he's just like coming so hard on page thirteen. You've got this. <laughs> you've got all these other characters. I kind of liked that page in that you see like how everybody's reacting to this, and I always get the the I got the the notion that this is happening so fast, none of them could actually mobilize and do anything about it. So it's up to the two heroes who are there to do something. And but it was kind of cool to see, like you know, because how many comics have we threat have we read where something threatens Earth? And nobody, no other hero in the entire mm-hmm. comics line makes an appearance to at least react to what's going on. So I, I appreciated mm-hmm. that. But you know, overall, I thought the fight was was pretty well done. You know, it's your typical, we have this big world destroyer machine and these two guys have to break, destroy it. And um, I, I knew nothing of Toro except the fact that he was the human torch's sidekick in the Golden Age. So like I said, I kind of got a kick out of it. Um, I don't know what he was doing accepting coffee from a stranger, but <laughs> it's like yeah, what's all that about? He's standing uh, outside the funeral, uh, and co- like a cup of coffee. Yeah, why didn't he just like bump him over the head with you know like you know here, boom, you know, and 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 throw him in the back of the car? What what was with the coffee? But no, it's it's a solid it's a solid B uh, uh, from me. This is this was worth it was worth the read. It was worth the money. Well, I didn't spend any money on it, but it would have would have been worth twelve cents, and uh, and yeah, so that that's my that's my two that's my twelve cents. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> um, I like the cover. I mean, you've got uh, I mean, it's iconic for one. I've seen this cover, you know, a number of times, referenced in different places and everything. But come on, I mean, you've got uh, Namor sitting inside of a giant soup ladle being ro- roasted by the Human Torch. I just think that's kind of cool. I, I like the cover. Um, although the torch does look a little bit wonky there. Um, the interior art goes from, wow, that looks really nice, to, ooh, that's not right. So it's very inconsistent, I think. And I think it's trying too hard to emulate other artists rather than having a distinct style of its own. But that said, it's serviceable and it's dynamic as hell. I mean, it definitely fits in with the feel of the Marvel comics of this particular era. So while it's uh, inconsistent and it's a little weird in places and the anatomy is definitely strange a lot of the time at the same rate, it feels like kind of the house style of the period. So I I like that. Um, The story is just, you know, I mean, come on, it's, it's, you know, it's late sixties Marvel wacky fun. And I like that. And I, and I like the end of the story as well with, you know, with Toro sacrificing himself and all that sort of thing. So let's see, I'd give the cover, I'd probably give the cover a B plus cause I really like the cover. I think the cover is very dynamic. Uh, the interior art, I'd go with probably a, a B minus cause I think it's very dynamic. I really like, it. I think the coloring really works and everything, but it's just, there are a lot, a lot of panels where it's inconsistent and the anatomy is just really wonky a lot of the time. And the story, eh, I'd go with a middle of the road C on the story because it's not great. It's not bad. It's just, yeah, it's a standard Marvel story from around this time is kind of how I looked at it. So I don't know what that average is out to be, but <laughs> there you go. 
it, it averages out to whatever you decide it should be. A W. I, I don't know. <laughs> a W. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, B plus plus B minus plus C. What is that? I, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd say that's probably B plus B minus and a C is probably either a B minus or a B. Okay, I can live with that. All right. And so much for you for Submariner number fourteen. I almost said Human Torch number fourteen. <laughs> so uh, I guess you, we'll Sammy. move on to our first of two DC books. Which one did you bring today, Bill? Ah, uh, uh, you know, while you think that over, uh, which who wants to go next? Uh, Tom's gonna go, go next. Yes. <laughs> okay. I uh, I brought the power of Shazam. Number 37. It is cover dated April 1998. I should probably put my glasses on. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> it is, it is, um, it has a painted cover by Jerry Ordway that shows uh, Captain Marvel Jr., or as he'll later be known as CM3 in this, in this era, among a very kind of spooky looking woodsy landscape as a as Dr. Morpheus uh, rides a black stallion toward him looking all ominously and the, the 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 black stallion has the red glowing eyes of red anger thing going and uh, Dr. Morpheus at a glance looks kind of like a, a weird looking dead man with a cape mm-hmm. um, but it's uh, it's uh, and, and the cover copy says to sleep perchance to scream and scream is done using chiller font by the way or dr morpheus rides again and uh something to note about the cover which i always loved about the few issues of this series that i have is that the the little box in the upper left hand corner that has the price in it and the dc uh, bullet is shaped like shazam's uh, lightning bolt as opposed to just a straight rectangle um the title of the story is CM3, and uh, our writer is Jerry Ordway. Our penciler is, penciler is Mike Manley, inker is Dick Giordano. Glenn Whitmore is our colorist. John Costanza is our letterer. Frank Berrios is our assistant, and Mike Carlin is our head masseur. And uh, we have... Teenager Freddie Freeman has but to invoke the name of his mentor, Captain Marvel, to summon the magic lightning that transforms him into Captain Marvel Jr. And we begin in Star Labs, where Freddie is getting a massage, where he's getting physical therapy, essentially, uh, from Dr. Russo, who comments that it seems that, like, he's in his Captain Marvel Jr. identity, his Captain Marvel Jr. body, and she comments that the wounds and scars that he has as Freddie Freeman seem to be showing up on the Captain Marvel Jr. uh, body. And he really does not care because he's getting massaged from a very attractive-looking doctor. And this um, lasts, well, for about a page or two before Mary Marvel shows up and gets all jealous of what's going on uh, to the point where when he calls her jealous, she flips out and throws him into a, a door, and that door contain is the door to the cell of Dr. Morpheus. And since Mary is not your average woman and has the strength of you know several women, when he throw when she throws him into the door, the door breaks, and what comes from behind the door is this weird black smoke. And Freddie uh, 
Captain Marvel Jr. breathes into them in that smoke and goes catatonic. And most of the rest of the issue is basically this sort of nightmare dreamscape sort of scenario where Freddy is, uh, while, while, while Mary Marvel and, and Dr. Russo try to bring him back uh, from you know whatever trance he's been in because apparently this has been known to kill people, um, Freddy enters this nightmare world. He sees his dead parents blaming him for their deaths. Uh, he has a horrific view, vision of uh, <laughs> a horrific, sorry, he has a horrific version of the show up to school in your underwear dream that that we've all had at, at one point uh, or another. Uh, he has a dream where he's at bat in the big game and then the ball kind of stops as it reaches him and starts taunting him. And the basic kind of underlying theme of a lot of this is that He's not good enough. He's not good enough. He'll always be second best. He'll always be second fiddle. And that manifests itself when we actually see the Marvel family fighting um, Captain Nazi and Black Adam. And Captain Marvel is basically like, you know, you know, step aside. And Mary suggested, he, you know, well, why don't you go get us something? And um, he, he's constantly put down a second string, even to the current iteration of the Teen Titans, which he has most recently joined. Uh, and this is the Teen Titans that consists that is led by the Adam, the Ray Palmer Adam, and consists of uh, Argent Risk, Jodo, and Prism uh, that Dan Jurgens had created uh, after the original Teen Titans series that Marvel was writing uh, was canceled. So as he's being taunted at by Captain Marvel and he's being pointed out how horrible he is Captain Marvel says lick my boots and that snaps Captain Marvel Jr. out of it and he throws Captain Marvel aside and um, starts fighting back and then he's in another scenario where Billy and Mary are in a car and they're like hey we stole the car and we're gonna go joyriding and Captain Marvel Jr. gets in the car and he starts driving in the car and he realizes that He's doing exactly what um, Dr. Morpheus wants him to do, and he decides, well, I'm not going to do that, and he runs the car off the road. And this snaps him out of the dream. Um, it ends the problem with Dr. Morpheus, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, and he wakes up, and this apparently has given him enough confidence to tell Mary that, you know, he's found a home with the Titans in Metropolis, and he's going to have a new superhero name instead of being Captain Marvel Jr. He's going to be CM3 and he flies off away from Star Labs to his, uh, his new team. Excellent. Yeah. I was going to say, you guys can go ahead. What, uh, what did you, what did you think of this? Um, I, I fished this out of a quarter bin a few weeks ago and didn't have really much, uh, experience with this series. I've heard really good things about it. Um, and I like Jerry Ordway. And so the few issues that I had, I really enjoyed. So I was like, well, I'll, I'll you know, I'll check some out. And this, this looked interesting. So that's, that's why I picked it. Mm. So what did you guys think about it? I, uh, I think I, the, the last time we did a book from this series was when we had uh, J. David Weeder on. And I, I think I said then Captain Marvel, uh, and this is obviously Captain Marvel Jr., but the Captain Marvel series in general, uh, it's a character that I kind of like more in theory than in books that I've read. Not because I've read so many bad books, but I just haven't read that many books, period. Mm -hmm. uh, I like this story. Uh, I think it's not the most original story in the world. I mean, the whole dream, 
you know, facing your fears and insecurities thing uh, is, is, you know, it's, it's something that's been done quite a few times. But I think it's yeah. done pretty well here. I don't, I don't think it's done badly. Uh, I hate the name CM3. Yeah, yeah, I did and I and I don't really understand it because wouldn't he be CM two? Isn't Junior two? Uh, mm. but, well, I but, guess it's because yeah. of the rank structure. I mean, at first you had Captain Marvel, and then Mary, and then him. I, I do believe, unless I'm mistaken, that that he was third in line. So I, I, think, I think that's so. the idea. I but guess. yeah, it's it's still silly. He should I just guess. go with Junior, you know, or or some some version of that. But yeah, CM3 I think Junior would have been fine. Yeah, CM3 just sounds yeah, but, really Or even CM Jr., I would go over CM3. Hmm. Or Cap Jr. or some something. There seems like... Yeah. Well, I, come... I, I, I think Jr.'s the whole hang-up. He wants to ditch the Jr. Maybe he should, you know what he should have called him? The Gimp. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah in, in all seriousness, uh, like I hate that. I, I love the Mad Ball, just looking at the book. <laughs> <laughs> um. Like I said, it, it's not the most original premise for a story. I've seen this done on numerous occasions, but I think it's done well. Uh, the cover art is, as always with these books, like every issue of this that I've seen, the cover art is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Morpheus looks to me like like the illegitimate child of Eclipso and Dead Man. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Uh, and I guess he's the DC version of Nightmare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is which is you know that's which all. I think Nightmare rides a horse too. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the interior art, it's funny because I think it fits Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel stories and the tone I expect for Captain Marvel stories, but this story is a little darker than what I expect from a Captain Marvel book, and it almost looks like the interior art isn't quite matched up to it right. Um, but overall, it's it's certainly the pacing and the storytelling are fine. It's just the character models are a little more cartoony than what I would expect for a story this dark. But uh, overall, I, I mean, I liked it. I thought it was a good read. You know, probably a little bit too quick of a resolution of all his insecurities. Or you know, and, and just you know, he, the 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 thing that killed people killed the last two people who had it just cured him and went away. Yeah, it's it's like, oh hey, we're on page twenty one. We gotta wrap this up. Not only does he get up cured, but he's thrilled. He's he's saying this is the greatest thing. Everybody should get Morpheus to throw black shit at him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but again, uh, you know, on on a whole, I think it was pretty solid. I liked the story. I liked the book. I enjoyed reading it. I dug this a lot. I am uh, I am a Captain Marvel mark and. Uh, Captain Marvel Jr. has one of my all-time favorite superhero costumes. I, I just like his look. I, I just I've always thought that Captain Marvel Jr. is a is a really great-looking character. He he, he kind of hits that Superboy button for me because Superboy was always one of my absolute favorite superheroes as a kid, and uh, and I see Cap Jr. a lot the same way. Um, but I agree with what Paul said, and I've heard Paul say it before that. Captain Marvel is a character that that's great in concept, but doesn't always, you know, because I mean, as much of a fan as I am of Captain Marvel, I'd be hard pressed to give you a decent list of like great Captain Marvel stories. There's just not a lot of them. Um, I have, to the best of my knowledge, I have the complete run of this series and I don't think I've ever read more than just a, a handful of them because the problem for me with this series was that the writing was fine? I think the I think the origin and the and the setup of the series moved far too fast. They they wanted to establish the Marvel family very quickly, 
And so it's done in like the first couple of issues and they just moved way too fast. So it has a very um, disjointed feel Mm -hmm. to it. It it doesn't flow naturally enough. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not really a a problem with this one, although I think it's, it's very conveniently all wrapped up, you know, by the end of the issue. But the common complaint that I heard for the entire run of the series and the thing that I think ultimately doomed the book was that it, it continually suffered from start to finish for with lackluster art. You, know, you had these gorgeous painted covers by Ordway on the cover, but then you'd open up the book and it was always subpar artwork. And that's yeah. just such a shame because I think if they had done really solid work on the interiors to match the, the often really good stories... I think the book would have had a, a much longer life. I mean, it lasted pretty pretty long. I think it lasted four years, I think, thereabouts. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it could have gone for so much longer. I mean, it's such a shame when you think that, you know, this was a, a, a character and a family of characters that in its heyday rivaled Superman as far as popularity and sales. And now they just can't make the damn thing work. And that that's a shame. And I think uh, in this particular instance, I think the the one hang-up that they had was just the art. If they had put a decent art team on this, I, I think it would have done so much better. I don't think the art in this is horrible, but I do think that it's 90s in that not-good 90s way. It, it's, it's too cluttered, it's kind of loosey-goosey, and it doesn't fit... To me, it doesn't fit the style of character with this because Cap has a much cleaner look than this, not not 90s art style look. Although some of the pages aren't bad. The fight between Cap and Cap Jr. on page 16, I think, does look pretty damn cool. Although Cap Jr. looks a hell of a lot like more like Superman than he does Captain Marvel Jr., I think. But it's still pretty neat. But yeah. uh but this one, this one, I would grade entirely on the story as opposed to the art because I don't think all that much of the of the art. But I thought the story was really good. It's a nice Cap Junior character piece. It's nice to see him be front and center in this particular one. Yeah. Um, but that, and, that's all and, I really got on it. Yeah, he ended up joining that iteration of the Titans, which mm-hmm. uh, an iteration of the Titans which I really liked. Um, and. But the from what I remember, and, and I'd, I'd actually have to look this up because the Titans Companion has the full story of this. But they had a fan vote who should be the next member, and Robin won the vote. I think it was Robin. It's like Robin or Nightwing. And I'm pretty sure it was Robin who won the vote, and uh, the Batman editorial team would not give them Robin. So hmm. he was he was kind of one of the uh, that was one of the reasons that he ended up on the team for the last. See, that series only lasted two years. So right. he was in there for maybe the last eight issues or so. Right. Wasn't that Perez? I think Perez drew that, didn't he? He inked the first half of it. Jurgens drew the whole uh, thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was great. I great remember the art, art being solid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember, yeah, when Cap uh, Jr. came along, I remember thinking that, yeah. wow, you know, this is this is the best he's looked in a long time. Perez ink Jurgens probably up until maybe issue twelve ish or so, and then I want to say it was uh, Norm Rapman or somebody who usually worked with Dan was usually used to working with Dan Jurgens uh, inked him the rest of the way, and right. it was overall it was a solid story. And uh, he even um, when I met him, I told him how much I liked it, and he had said it was almost like if it had been something called something other than Teen Titans, it might have done better because it just the name had so much baggage to it. Mm-hmm. So that's why it didn't really uh, 
catch on. But yeah, and, and he was actually pretty good. He he played the innocent kid sort of role in this team of teenagers who were that sort of late 90s self-aware, you know, so quote unquote sophisticated teenager types, you know? Right. And, uh, so it was almost, there was a little bit of a fish out of water story there, but it was used for comedic effect. Um, and, but when push came to shove, he was, you know, he had a lot of powers as far as the thing was concerned, but it was, it's interesting how much he stays, you know, in his own body. Um, and that's why he comes up with the name because he can't say, you know, he can't say his own name or else he turns back into Freddie Freeman. Right. So call me CM three. Yeah. Which is, which is so '90s, by the way. It's so late '90s. Yeah, that I agree. It's, well, it yeah. sounds like a toilet cleansing scrub or something. You know, it's not like like Formula Four Hundred Nine CM Three. You know, it's just something you clean your shower with or something. It just sounds yeah. silly. Yeah, I do it's wish brand- they come up with something different. Branding, yo. So. <laughs> Yeah, I do remember that uh, when he uh, when he joined that version of the Titans. I liked it at the time, but then thinking back on it now and, and listening to your description of it, I'm kind of wondering why they went with that particular iteration. Because to my memory, I don't remember I don't remember Junior being like that in the in the sense that he you know Junior is not Marvel. You know, Marvel is Billy Batson, you know, this this young kid. So he is very kind of naive and, and, you know, childlike innocence and all that. But Freddie was older. You know, Freddie was a yeah. teenager and he was a kid from the street. So I always saw Freddie as being uh, a little more toughened and like street smart, you know. So, I, you know, the best comparison I would draw is like, like Cap would be more like say uh, like Tim Drake and and Junior would be more like um, like Jason Todd. Jason Todd. Yeah, and I think I, that would have been a better dynamic to work with um, uh, with him being on the Titans. I'd have to reread the issues because I'm almost up to those issues, but I, I always get the feeling that they tried to play him off as not naive, but maybe intimidated by a couple of the people on the team because of who those characters were because you had this kind of spoiled rich girl brat in Argent and um, Risk was this you know show off street kids it was almost like it wasn't it wasn't the naive kid you know the fish out of water like the square hanging out it was like it was like him being a little intimidated because he was hanging out at the cool kids table and he wasn't sure what to do even though he by this point i think he had kind of shaken off the the new stuff especially considering the core group of that titans was all technically the backstory was that they were all related somehow and so you know so it was almost like fitting there was something very very high school about it that right jerkins did very well but um like i said i i have a few more issues to go before i actually read those to see if they hold up as well as i remember them um so you can understand that whole intimidation thing. It's probably like the way you guys feel with me. You know, you were. It's, it's tough for you to hang out with somebody as cool as me. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm too tired to disagree with you. <laughs> See, that's that's funny though that 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 he would be intimidated by them. You would think it would be the other way around because I mean, you know, of course this isn't in continuity, but here's yeah. a character that's been around since the '40s. You know, for yeah. one thing. But I mean, it's Captain Marvel Jr. You know, why would he be intimidated by them? Because no offense, 
those guys were a bunch of losers, the other members of the team. I mean, they were nobody before issue one of that series, whereas this character had been around. So it seems like it should have gone the other way. Like maybe he would be the kind of a little bit of an outcast only because they were intimidated by him. That would, I, I think that would, that would have been an interesting, some interesting way. reading too, if they yeah. were, you know, if they were trying to make him feel like he was lesser somehow, but it was because they were intimidated, right? I I think, um, let's see, Joda was the brain, Prism was the naive one. I'm trying right. to remember this off the top of my head, Risk was just basically the dickhead of the group, right? And Argent wore a costume that I'd see Jennifer Lopez wear at the Grammys a few years later, right? And I think I think that's where some of the intimidation came in. Just the you know you know that would be like oh wow you know um, kind of the way some some heroes would be intimidated around say Starfire and things like that. So oh I got you yeah. again I might be and I might be way off. I'm, I'm like I said I'm trying to remember this. Off no the that is how I kind of remember it though. Now that yeah. you say that, that you know because I, I I read. <laughs> And what's funny is I picked that series up as it was coming out, and I didn't read yeah. any of it until Junior joined. And then I read those issues and mm-hmm. was like, I don't know who the hell these people are, but hey, it's Cap Junior, and so I read it, you know? And and yeah. I liked his stuff in it. So that is kind of the way I remember it. But yeah, maybe that's and- not fair to them, you know, because that was my impression is like, you know, why why isn't he, you know, he, he's there and he's on the team, but why isn't he a bigger deal kind of thing? You know, why aren't it, they almost like bowing and scraping to him, you know, it was, but they, they didn't. Yeah, it was it was odd that they felt the need to add him to the team because they were trying to obviously trying to boost sales. And it didn't necessarily work. I mean, like I said, the, the, the series was canceled like within six months of him joining or six right. eight months of him joining. So. Uh, but, but yeah, but here, um, I see, I'm not, I'm not as up on the, on the dynamic of the various Marvel Marvels. Um, my first experience with, with Captain Marvel was there was a cartoon like years and years and years ago, because I remember renting videos shazam cartoon videos from like the Mm -hmm. video store back when i was like um back in like 83 84 so that's how i how i knew who always knew who captain marvel and mary marvel and and captain marvel jr were because i used to rent the cartoons because it was like you know superhero cartoons i could rent from the video store whenever i wanted um but never really read a lot of his comics uh remember him in crisis and a little bit with the Justice League. Remember Captain Marvel, you know, Billy Batson with the Justice League and everything. But, you know, so, but I, I personally, I thought this was, like I said, I thought this was, uh, I thought the story was pretty good. Um, but I'll weigh in after Bill does if Bill wants to. If he's available. If he's Bill's available. Asleep. Bill's asleep. Uh, I think he, he was uh, in he fell was, all the toilet. He, he, uh, he's on call, and I think he received the phone call that he's trying to answer some questions for. So, oh, okay. I, you, you know, I'm that's not big more on giving, important than back to the bins. You know, I'm not big on giving Dr. Bill slack, but <laughs> this man needs to get his priorities straight, is what I'm saying. Then I guess I will go with, with what, what I thought. Um, you guys are both right on the difference between the cover art and the interior art. Mike Manley, um, the one thing you may remember him from, he took over Batman when Azrael put on the Batman suit in mm-hmm. Batman 500. He followed Jim Aparo, and 
did a serviceable job. He is he's one of those artists that was okay. You know, he was never awful, um, but never really stood out to me. You know, wasn't like, he an inker though? That's he was the penciler. Was an... He was the penciler. No, no, on, no but I mean, what, what I mean though is, before he became a penciler, wasn't he always an inker? So he was like trying to go Probably. from inker to penciler. That, that's how I remember it, anyway. Possibly, I. It, you know more than I would. I, I didn't really. I know that right now he's actually drawing a newspaper strip because hmm. I see because he's does. Um, I think it's Judge Parker because I I notice the name in the um, Sunday Washington Post when I get the. When, when I read the comics on, on Sunday and uh, you know, it's his art's actually gotten a lot tighter and, and maybe part of it. I don't know. Like I like Dick Giordano as an inker um, or whoever was doing this for Dick Giordano, uh, whether it was one of his, you know, people in his studio or if it was him. Um, but I don't know if the, if the inking really, really helped Manley's artwork. I'd have to see some of those night quest issues and stuff like that to see how well he did this. Because there's times when the cartoonish kind of look of it really, really fits the characters. And then you're right, the whole nightmare part of it, parts of it just seem kind of off. So, um, especially on page seven where you see Dr. Morpheus and he looks like a bad, like this should be a Scooby-Doo issue or something like right. that. You know, it's very, it's very Scooby-Doo. Um, which I guess you could play off sometimes or at least that's the impression i think you can get from uh shazam and some of the characters like where you could play that off like that but especially in a dream sequence like this but if this is supposed to be some sort of scary dream that might kill him old man weatherby wearing a costume is is just not (laughs) intimidating and scary (laughs) so um the going to school in your underwear bit was funny though yeah because it's such a common dream i've had that dream yeah, I never I had that dream. Oh, wait, I'm doing the podcast in my underwear. Whoops! Oh my god. I, I I never had that dream, but I did actually do it one day. Okay. Oh no, wait, that was a dream. Yeah. And then there was Captain Nazi, and he draws he draws Captain Marvel pretty well. He he draws uh Black Adam kind of weird. Yeah, let me see. Black Adam's on like it's a on yeah. page fourteen. Yeah. yeah, he does. It's like old man Black Adam. Yeah. <laughs> Black old Adam. Yeah. But he he gives Captain Marvel the sort of stature that I always expect Captain Marvel to have. I could do without Captain Marvel's codpiece, though. On page 12. <laughs> <laughs> he puts the sh in Shazam. Yeah. <laughs> And what's what's going on there? I, you know, I I don't need to see this seriously. <laughs> well, Doctor Freud, <laughs> it's it's very Freudian. <laughs> it's I mean I think they could have done a better job choosing the angle. I know they wanted to do the upward angle to make him yeah. look more intimidating. Well, he is yes. he is Captain Marvel Junior. So you know, you wonder why he feels inferior. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is why he's calling himself CM3 because that's Captain Marvel Jr. What do you say, Shazam? <laughs> what do you think of this book, Bill? We haven't heard your take on it yet. Um, well, this 
this is only the second book that I've read of this series. <coughs> That's, uh, because the first one I did was when we did the show with uh, with Jay David. Um, the cover is very very nice and that's ordway is it is it not mm-hmm. okay oh yeah duh it says it right there on the tree in the on the cover so i mean this is always some nice classic jerry ordway um inside eh, i mean the story like you know before i had to step away for a minute um you know like you guys are saying that 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 the story's kind of quick and wraps it up quick as well and the art is kind of cartoony, but I mean, I guess it is a little scary if you're a kid. You know, yeah, you guys did say that uh, Doctor, what is it, Doctor Morpheus, looks like a Scooby-Doo villain there. But maybe to a kid that would be scary. I mean, you know, because how how old is Freddy at this point? Like he's he's only what is he like thirteen? Well, he and Mary have got something going on, so I'm thinking maybe a little older than that. I was, I was thinking like 15. Mm. Is Billy the youngest one out of the three of them? I think he is. But do they have something going on in their other personas? Billy and, or... Billy and Mary are twins. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right, yes. I don't know how the hell that works, because she looks like she's a teenager, and he looks like he's like nine years old, but they are twins. Yeah, they've, they've uh, we, we talked about this... In the Thanksgiving issue, like they they present Mary in right. kind of an inappropriate way for somebody who's supposed to be the age she is. Right, well, she is that? most definitely a minor. Yes. So uh, who's that? Oh, at the end of the book, that's like overlooking them. Um, chain I, I, Chain Lightning. I chain guess lightning. she's like she's a character that's at the at Star Labs that's being held there, or is just batshit crazy and once once yeah. Freddy. I, she appears in his dream as well, and I, since I don't have oh, that's right, she's any the, other uh, yeah, yeah any any other issue. I was just assuming this is just kind of a running subplot involving mm. her and him, and it was a way to work this in there since she happens to be locked up at Star Labs. Perhaps it's one of the reasons they're there. Since I didn't read the issue before this, I really can't tell you. Um, so that, that's kind of why I kind of skipped over it in my synopsis because clearly it has something to do with the overall ongoing story arc, at least for his character in the series. Mm. So, but you could have taken her out of the issue and had the same exact story. I think she's kind of, her appearance is kind of superfluous. I was wondering if maybe her appearance was meant to be a harbinger of things to come. That's possible too. I mean, yeah. I haven't read much of this series, so I can't, uh, I can't say. Maybe you know, maybe there's a story three issues down where she's the villain. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very possible too. A little bit of foreshadowing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't read the whole series, so I can't say. Yeah. Um, so is that kid in the in the classroom scene? Is the is the kid with the dunce cap in the corner? Is he getting ready to drop a deuce on the floor there? Is... <laughs> What page is that? What is that? Uh, page nine, <laughs> upper top panel, upper left hand corner. That's like, oh yeah. <laughs> it's very disturbing. Some of the images in in, in this. Yeah, it is. And yeah. I, I think unintentionally. I'm hoping unintentionally. <laughs> yeah, this... we've got we've got the giant, you know, Captain Marvel, <clears throat> and. I couldn't think what the baseball reminded me of, and when you said Mad Ball earlier, 
I was like, oh my god, that's right. I remember that now. Those were, oh yeah, I hated those things. Yeah, they were a little after my time, but I have seen them, so. It's good to see Captain Nazi again. (laughs) Yeah. That's usually not a sentence you hear often. (laughs) (laughs) Would would this have benefited from another artist doing the dream sequence and Manly doing only the the real world sequences? I think so. Yeah. Possibly, yeah. yeah, I think so as well. I think I think Who, the dream sequences are written particularly dark, and they're not drawn that way. Yeah, and, or, or where, where he attempts to draw them that way, I think he kind of fails. And and the yeah. color palette is way way too bright. Too bright. Yeah, it suffered for that for the whole series. That and, was also this era of comics where the color palette on comics, because of the change in the paper and the color process, had become incredibly bright for a lot of books. And it's funny because then, you know, whatever, 20 years later, they went to like an incredibly dark and muddy color palette that I think was also mm-hmm. a mistake. Yeah. You know, and on so many, so many series. Oh, so many books looked washed out over the course of the last decade. I, 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 think, I think your idea is, is actually right on the money. I think if they had made the dream, dream sequence, just, just picture, I mean, I know it doesn't go with, uh, with Captain Marvel, but just picture these dream sequences as drawn by Bill Sienkiewicz. Mm. Yeah, yeah, like the yeah, like the Demon Bear saga in um in New, New Mutants. Mutants. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, like I think that. that may be taking it too much to an extreme, but uh, I mean that that's right in his wheelhouse—a a dark dream sequence, or even you know. And I think Scotty's not one of your huge favorites, art-wise, but but maybe even like a Frank Miller. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I I got nothing against Miller. I think that would work. Who is the, some reason the, I thought you, you the, were not a fan of Miller, but maybe I'm. Well, I, I'm not a fan, but I mean, you know, put put the you know put him on something that he actually works well with, like a dream yeah. sequence. I think it could work. Yeah, Who I'm is tired. the third guy that's coming in with Captain Nazi and Black Adam? That's not the Ultra Human Knight, because I know at one point he was shaved. Or I something. wondered that too. Yeah, because I, I thought maybe he was supposed to be that. Uh, what was his name? That that general character that was showed up on. Um, Justice League Unlimited, but I, I, right, I, man. I yeah. the Shaggy Man. That's it. Shaggy that's Man. It. Yeah, John, is that him? Hmm. Doesn't look like him to me. I don't think it is. Well, because the Shaggy Man had like a big overbite or something, didn't he? And yeah, they, yeah, and, yeah. He had tusks. Yeah, yeah. That's right. and, and then they shaved his body, and like the general put his brain in the Shaggy Man's body or something. General I think that's Island. the same. Yeah, that's the same uh, guy that was uh, uh, that Clancy Brown's playing on the Flash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, I wonder if we'll see him. Uh, we'll see that down the road. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who that is. I wondered that myself. Oh, it's not Ibik, is it? Ibik the Invincible? Maybe. Mm, I'm not familiar with that character. Or Ibak? Ibak. I forget how you pronounce his name. Ibik or Ibak? I know who you're talking like about. It. That's yeah. that's possible Ibik. too. Ibik. He, he's he's basically the the um evil version of of Captain Marvel. He says his magic word and he he turns into this dude. And his uh, his name is an acronym like Shazam is, where it stands for all these evil people. But I I, mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you what it, I could I could tell you what Shazam stands for. I can't remember what the what the Ibic or Ibac or whatever. I can't remember what his different letters how stand do you, for. How do you spell it? I B A. I want to say it's it's either I B I C or I B A A C something like I that. Think I think it's the, I think it's the latter. I think it's I B A A C. Yeah. So. Um, I guess we'll grade this. Uh, I'll start. <laughs> you said, such confidence. Tom. No, I'm just trying yeah. to. 
trying to I was trying to segue and it didn't work very well. Um, well played, subtle. Yeah, subtle. Uh, <laughs> I will. I would definitely give the cover an A or an A plus. I mean, it's and, and, and there's really nothing wrong at all with the cover. Um, you know, Ordway Ordway knows how to draw a cover and he knows how to paint very well, which is you know. Which uh, which works to his advantage. Uh, the the art in the interior art, I'm gonna give about a B minus because it's you know it's it's such a it's such a downgrade. Um, and the story overall, I think, is probably about a B plus. Uh, I think the ending is way too quick, uh, so I think that averages out probably to about a B plus or so. I agree with the cover. That's an A. Um, there's yeah yeah I wish the dream sequence would have been something like you're saying Scott that or, or we'll be brought up that it maybe should have been something different. I'm, I'm not really down on the art except for I guess Doctor Morpheus or you know looks a little hokey, goofy in the dream sequence also. Um, ah, God, we're just so agreeable tonight. I, I'm 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 gonna give it probably C plus B minus. And then the story, uh, yeah, probably going to stick with a B minus on that as well. All right. So I'm interested overall? in I'm in, interested in chain lightning. <laughs> Your overall grade? Oh, uh, I guess that would put it at a B minus. All right. I'm going to go against my normal thought process <laughs> and agree with you on the cover and say it's an A. And and that thought process, just to explain to you what I'm saying is. I usually try to save my A's for covers that I consider to be iconic, ones that you just look at and, and it's like, you know, it, it just brings out such strong feelings and memories and everything. Uh, this is a cover I never even saw before, and it, it's but it's beautiful. The artwork is just so well done. The, the mists on it are just so evocative of, of the feeling that you want to get from the dream sequences inside the book and don't. Uh, it's, you know, again, the color palette in it is, is beautiful. It's just so well laid out and I, I can't imagine seeing this on the stands and not wanting to pick up this book. So I'm, I'm going to give it an A despite the fact that I don't consider it to be an iconic cover. Uh, the interior artwork, as I said, I think the storytelling is solid. I think it's real easy to follow what's going on. Uh, the pacing is good. It brings you right through it. But I don't like the individual renderings. I don't like the anatomy in it. I don't like the some of the choices they made as far as angles. Uh, so I'm gonna say I'm, I'm gonna say it's an average book. I'm gonna give it just a regular C. Uh, you know, it, it could have been better if the individual renderings were better, but it's not. Uh, and I and I don't like the the bright color palette for the uh, dream sequences at all. I don't like a lot of the choices with the dream sequences, so I'm going to just say a C. And uh, the story itself, as I said, it's not a story that I think is especially original. I've seen this uh, with several different heroes over the years with the dream sequence facing their fears and all of that. Yeah. But I but I do think it's well done. So I'm going to say the story is a B minus, and overall. Really riding on the coat, the, the coattails of this cover, this beautiful cover. I'm going to give it a B overall. Uh, the cover, I would say, I would give it an A minus. Um, I really like the cover. 
with the exception, and, and it's not really fair to, to count this against the cover, but with the exception of uh, Dr. Morpheus, I think he's just flat ridiculous looking. But for being ridiculous looking, he's still well drawn and well painted and all that. So I, I do like the cover. And of course, Captain Marvel Jr. just looks great on this cover. He, he's well painted, he, you know, the anatomy and everything. It looks really, really good. So I, and I love the color choices on the cover. Color choices on the interior, completely different issue. Um, I guess I'm going to be the harsh one on the art. I'm going to give the, the art a flat D. I, I don't like it. I, I think it's very loosey-goosey, and yeah, I just don't care for it at all, really. Um, the story, um, I'll, I'll go with a C+. Plus. It's, I mean, it's a fairly average and somewhat conventional comic book trope type of story, but it's well done in that style, so that's why I'll, I'll say a, a C plus for that. I forgot to point out that Paul's book was twelve cents. It was at nineteen sixty nine. Mm-hmm. This was twenty nine years later. It was a dollar ninety five. Ouch. Mm. Well, but you know what? It was twenty nine years later. It was a dollar ninety five. So they increased it a dollar eighty three over twenty five yeah. years. Yeah, and and since bad. then, how much have they raised it? You know, uh, it's it's two ninety nine. About another dollar. About another dollar? Are they still are they still selling them at two ninety nine or are they doing three ninety nine? Two ninety nine is is way in your rear view mirror, my friend. Yeah, it's three ninety nine. Three ninety nine, four ninety nine even. Depends yeah, on who, Star depends Wars who you're buying. It was four ninety nine, yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know, they they're they're increasing it at a very rapid rate, which is something I guess we may be discussing when we're on with Professor Allen in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Economics. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, uh, good choice, Tom. Thanks. Do you think we have time to do a third book tonight? I uh, would say why don't we hold on to that thought for uh, for another time? Okay. Okay, because yeah, that's we, my we, guess. We're we're at two hours and thirty seven minutes. I think we have some uh, extraneous talk at the beginning that's going to be cut out, but it's probably still going to be close to two hours when it's all said and done. Okay. Yeah, and I got a the. The on-call guy actually called me because he's had an issue. He sent me. Oh, is he going to read? Is he going to give us? Is he going to synopsize it? (laughs) What? (laughs) He said he had an issue. (laughs) No, no, not that type of issue. He had an issue at a job site that I'm more familiar with, so I was trying to fill him in on what to look for. So yeah. So even when I'm not on call, I guess sometimes I'm on call. And, and I, th- I think it's probably good just just to pull back the curtain a little. Scott, your book was a just by chance another Captain Marvel book. It was. Yes. That's the funny. Yeah, that's the funny thing is that completely by random dumb luck, mine was also a, uh, a Shazam story. So yeah. So so it's just as well <laughs> to hold that off till another uh, another week. Well, and, I, you and... know, I, I considered changing. It was too late for me to get another book. Frankly, I just I didn't have enough time, but. Uh, uh, my first reaction was, ah, crap! I don't, I don't think we should do two Shazams in the same. And then I, after reading uh, Tom's selection, I got to thinking, you know, this could be a lot of fun to kind of draw the the similarities and the you know and the and the differences between the two Captain Marvel st- you know, stories by completely different teams and completely different eras. Because mine mm-hmm. is very much a pre-crisis story, but yeah, unfortunately, I think we're just running long for this one. Well, here's here's my suggestion, and I'm gonna. I, I think we can we can try and make this work. I think when we do your book, uh, we need to have Tom back again. Okay, absolutely. 
And this way, this way we get those opinions and we, we get a little uh, comparison of the two stories. So everybody who's listening now and, and finds the Captain Marvel history and Captain Marvel book uh, something of interest, uh, it's something to look forward to. And, and I'm going to even give you a total heads up on this. The Captain Marvel story we're talking about is contained in World's Finest Comics number 254. I don't know that it's ever been reprinted anywhere else, so it's probably the only place yeah. you can find it. Uh, but if you can find that story and you want to read in advance, which is not something we generally do here on Back to the Bins, but what the heck. And and I will say the art on Scott's story is gorgeous. Yeah, Don Newton. Don Newton. Oh. I don't, Cap- don't give away to Cal. I won't. I won't. We'll, we'll tease. Cap was, uh, you know, Newton worked on a lot of characters, but Cap was his favorite, and and he often said he was just born to draw Cap, and I, I think uh, I think uh, his art bears it out. I mean, I see his Captain Marvel, and I'm just like, wow, you know, Cap seldom looked as awesome as he did under uh, under Newton's pencils. So yeah, good stuff. I'm looking forward to it. I love his Batman. So yeah, I love Don Newton's Batman. All right, so something to look forward to, and maybe Bill will have yeah. a book that week. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Could be. Yeah, I won't hold my breath. Hey. <laughs> is, is that the week where I bring the Kool-Aid Man book? or? <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Somebody, I don't know who, and obviously Scott will have the Captain Marvel book, but somebody eventually has to bring Captain Canuck to the table. I have enough issues of it now. I'll bring, I'll, uh, I'll fish out an indie book next time I'm on for, uh, for that. I'll see if I can find something that's halfway decent. You need to bring seriously bring Kool Aid Man because I would get a kick. I can bring Kool Aid Man because I yeah because right. I have him man. I, have I him. don't. I may need somebody to supply that to me. <laughs> I can I can probably scan it. I have a. I have a brand new gorgeous scanner. There's so there got to be scans out there of that thing somewhere so, already, I would think. So I, <laughs> uh, or, uh, I guess that's it then? Yeah, I guess that's it. I'm just just thinking, you know, the, the whole scene just occurs to me, the scene with Mary Marvel at the beginning. Uh, it could have been subtitled, Them Bitches Be Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> bitches, man. She caused this whole thing because he was getting a massage. All right, well, that's besides the point. All right, guys, it's been fun. It's what happens. It's what happens when you get a massage out of the back of the free alternative weekly newspaper. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, no, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on, and and yeah, just uh, get in touch with me and let me know when you're uh, when you're planning on doing it. I'll let you know when I'm available. Yeah, at this rate, you're becoming a semi-regular. So, <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, long, long as you're cool with that, we are. No, I am. I am. As long as you know. So as, as long as I'm as long as I'm available to do it, I would I will gladly uh, gladly do it. So maybe getting the call more often. You never know. Yeah, no. So. The right, back boys. issues at my LCS are cheap, so I could literally walk in there down the DC. The, the my LCS, there's one there's the aisle, the back issue aisle, and one side there's DC, and the other side is Marvel. I could literally just put my hand in and grab a book and bring them because I have, mm. you know, they're about almost the back issues are fifty cents. So, yeah, mine are yeah, I'm still trying He's to find a ton of them, but. I'm trying to find a store with consistent 50 cent back issues. I mean, I can find sales, but I haven't found a good place that has like just a good, you know, cheap bin that you can dive into anytime. Mine started doing a $5 trade bin. I have a lot of trade paperbacks that I have, <laughs> still have to read now. Mm-hmm. So. It's, it's, it's always nice to have a backlog, though. Yeah, it's good. We, we complain about it that we have so much to read. Yeah. But then if, if you start making your way through it and you start running out, like you start saying, oh, I only have a few left, you'll find yourself running the, to the store to get a bigger back, backlog again because we always want to have that. Yeah. Well, no, that was why I posted the other day. I, they had a $0.25 cent sale over the weekend where all the DC and Marvel back issues were $0.25, cents, and I got most of the Ostrander Suicide Squad series. I'm missing a few issues because they just didn't have them for $15. So it was pretty cool. I've been I'm, chasing I'm, the last issue for probably a decade now. It's ridiculous. I have yeah. the entire run except that last goddamn issue. And That's I, I one of the ones I don't have. Yeah. I, still I, have to, bitch. Uh, I still have to catalog my books so that Dude. I can go to these 25-cent sales and really fill holes. Yeah. That, was, um, that. that was, Scott, that was me and the <laughs> NOM. That last <laughs> issue of the NOM, I... I, I with shipping, I then ended up paying about eight bucks for it because I finally found an auction that wasn't fifteen dollars or higher. Because right. I was like, I'm not paying that much money for this book, but there's just those series that had low print runs at the end, and you're just like, why is this so expensive? So I feel your pain there. Sometimes with books like that, it's not even so much that it's expensive, but it's hard to find it anywhere. Yes, right. Yeah, because you know, it's just not something that's commonplace, and you know, it, it on certain ones the price hasn't been driven up because there's not a huge demand for it. Yeah. But there's just not that many issues. There's not a lot of demand, and you just you know you, you're lucky if you happen to chance yeah. buy it in one of those cheap bins. That's all. Yeah. There are crossover issues for like Crisis and Legends and stuff that are like that that just will drive you crazy trying to find. Mm-hmm. So, the, those Wonder Woman Crisis issues are. A, in the ass to find. <laughs> I've tried. <laughs> so that's anyway, why I, I think it's I think it's purely because the rent the print runs are super low. It, yeah. It's not for the content, believe me, because for a time there I was building a, a Wonder Woman collection, you know, the like mm-hmm. you know, the issues that are like late in that series that got canceled right when crisis happened. Yeah. And generally speaking, they're pretty shit. So <laughs> It's just because the print runs were low. That's the only reason that they're hard to find and that they're expensive when you do find them. But it's then, then, it's certainly not for the content. Then you get yeah. some issues that become costly because of the nostalgia factor. Right. Like the, the Wonder Woman in the white jumpsuit. 
Right. Those, those are expensive now because there is a nostalgia factor to it. But if you read them, they're shit. They are yeah. shit. Yeah. That was awful shit that they did. Yeah. But they're popular because people look at it and say, oh, cool. Remember when she did that? You know, that's all. You know, that's true. That's true. Well, when it comes to like those those holes you were talking about, though, you know, like the, that issue of Suicide Squad I'm chasing, I very much subscribe to the Michael Bailey theory, which is the minute you break down and go, <laughs> I only need one. I only need just this one. It, I'll pay 20 bucks for it. The moment you do it, you're going to find the thing in a 50 cent bin. So I've stopped it. At this point, I'm like, you know what? If I get it one day, I get it and I'll, I'll, I'll celebrate and turn cartwheels. But if I never do, it, because I'll be goddamned if I'm going to fall into that trap again. Because it's happened to me way too many times where I just said, screw it. It's the last one I need. Let me pay you know good money for it. And then it turns up in a, in a 50 cent. I'm like, yeah. Bitch, and it, he's right because it happens every time, every time. So I'm like, no, I, I'm not doing that shit anymore. <laughs> no. Nope. All right. Good night, guys. Right. I'm heading. Good down. night. All Have right. Have a good one, guys. Take care. Take night. Oh, sorry, I was eating a pop tart. <laughs> <laughs>